Hello there! You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Jurassic World. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Malowski. Actually, we decided to change it to Indominoski. And with our Jurassic World tagline, Kelly Wand. Stupid girl. More like Jurassic Squirreled. Keep them coming, Kelly Wand. I it's like the thing Laura Dern stuck her hand into in the first movie. <laughs> Go on. You can run with it. Uh, dead on arrival. Uh, extinct. Um, All right. We got three good ones there. Well, yeah. well Fossil done. fool. Oh, good. Very good. What about Dino boar. Uh, rep not smile. I didn't get that last one, but I liked most of those. Kelly wand instead of uh, reptile. Okay. Jurassic fart. Well, now you're just getting juvenile. Yeah, now you're just low hanging fruit. Yeah. Speaking of low hanging fruit, when I saw uh, Jurassic <laughs> World, there was a Velociraptor. Good. Yep. Low hanging fruit. Uh, when I saw Jurassic World, there was a trailer for Ted Two. And yes. right after the trailer for Ted 2, which the audience seemed to enjoy quite a bit, one guy in the in the audience, you know, down the row from me, uh, very enthusiastically and very loudly proclaimed, oh, I want to see that so badly. Wow. <laughs> and what really impressed me about it is, A, he was the kind of guy who would announce that really loud in the theater, and B, he got the adverb right. Like, he didn't say, I want to see that so bad. He actually said, I want to yeah. see that so badly. I was like, wow, what a... What an articulate, boisterous young man. And you yeah, said he pronounced it really loud. He, he announced this what to the theater. Audience? He also, by the way, at one point in the movie, which we might discuss, very loudly it said, Ooh, shot down. <laughs> at what point? You so can imagine. Was dingus head on you? <laughs> it was your dingus for this particular party. It was for a particular uh, Jake down. Johnson moment he, he announced, which, which we just saw in theater, and he decided to accompany it with narration. He said very loudly, ooh, shot down. Which I was like, wow, thank you. Thanks, dude, for narrating. Um, a guy in my audience shouted, uh, ooh, I want to see that so badly in German, but it was when the Jurassic World title came up. Did he get the adverb like, correct? Yeah. Do they have Which it? is hard. But wait, that moment, that moment doesn't deserve a shout out. Which part? Well, you'll have to take but this up with the boisterous young gentleman in my theater, Dingus. Uh, All right. Gentleman. Yeah. Wait, what was the part he said that about? Like, Please, what? Kelly Wand. When, when do you think he said that? I think he said it when Mark Wahlberg goes, we could be lawyers. No, no, no. He said that. He said shot. Oh, no. He said, I want to see that so badly after the Ted 2 trailer. He said shot down at a certain point during Jurassic World. During it, something. He said it when the, moment the when girls God. walked God. away from the brother. We don't want to spoil sure. anything yet, but you can imagine yeah. if anybody ever gets shot down in, uh, and it's in a romantic situation, in Jurassic World, there, there is a notable moment when that happens, and, and this guy in the audience announced it. Uh, I don't think Kelly knows who Jake Johnson is. Oh. Kelly Wan doesn't watch, like, New Girl? He didn't see Safety Not Guaranteed, Colin Trevorrow's previous movie? No. Huh. I don't watch time travel movies where they're worried about safety first. Sure, sure. Because you didn't see H.G. Wells fussing about that in Time After Time. No, he didn't right. give a fuck. He's like, oh, Jack the Ripper and time travel? I'm when, in. When Christopher Reeve was, like, rubbing on that magic penny in that movie where he 
hooks up with Jane Seymour. He wasn't fussing about safety, was he? No, it's Jane Seymour. Why would you? Right, exactly. Look at her. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, so let, let's get into Colin Trevorrow's reason. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Kelly Wand, Ugh. do you have an IMDb synopsis for us this week? I can't remember if we already did this one. Oh, gosh. Which is unusual. We're at the point where you're repeating synopses. Great. Well, you oh, know what? I think that it'll be easier for us to get it then, Kelly Wand. Well, I have a backup. Maybe I should just... It's, they're both really short, though. If you're not sure that we've done it, we've probably done it, so I would say go to the backup. Okay. <clears throat> An evil scientist implants the brain of Michael, a murdered high school student, into N. Tyrannosaurus. He escapes. That's oh, the, Tammy that's and like the T-Rex. The oh, yeah. It's Tammy, Tammy and the T-Rex. T-Rex. Yeah. Is that right? Did you do that one? Yeah. No, but we Wait, talked about it during our Paul Walker tribute. Right. Yeah, we're all Tammy and the T-Rex fans on this podcast. Yeah, seriously. Not by virtue of the movie, but by how we came to it. Certainly, Dingus stumbled across it, and he at one point said, hey, I just want you to watch this, didn't tell me anything about it, and uh, it was a Paul Walker movie. And Kelly Wand, I don't, Kelly Wand, how did you discover Tammy and the T-Rex? <laughs> uh, I was doing a Denise Richards Completionist mm-hmm. collection, <laughs> right, and right. Um, she's actually, there's a really good, she does a really cool strip tease at the end of Tammy and the T-Rex, but it's only in the R-rated version, and the other versions they kind of chop it up. Is that true? Literally the only good part. Is that true? Yeah. No. Yeah, look it up. The no. R-rated version, you, you watch the difference. It's totally different. Oh. And there's more killing. The, see, Paul Walker kills a lot of people in the movie. The Paul Walker has a T-Rex, though. Yeah, well, that's understandable. Yeah. Right. He doesn't kill anyone until he becomes a dinosaur right. Right. in his defense. That's what I would say if I was his lawyer and he was up for murder. <laughs> but um, I would love to see the sense. T-Rex on the stand. I'm so glad I went to Amsterdam this weekend. That was a really good decision. But as I was saying, Tom, tell me if you've seen this movie. And your hint is that Coolio is in it. Uh, a dormant Blue Falcon. <laughs> He's not in that. Oh, who's the guy in Deep That's Blue ludicrous. Sea? That's LL Cool J. Oh, you good lord. That's ludicrous. That's LL Cool J. The two of you are horrible. I, the two of you? I, it's I Kelly Wong. Yeah. I was trolling him. What? A dormant volcano deep with the Turkish forest holds within it a deadly secret. Perfectly preserved, a nest of pterodactyl eggs are ready to hatch. Ooh. I like this. That's it. <laughs> as long as it's not a sci-fi joint, I would want to see this. Like it, it that, is. That, oh, see, the crap that the, sci- the sci-fi can I, leech the fun out of any crappy movie. It's amazing. What's the sci-fi yeah. joint? No, the Sci-Fi Channel when they do their crappy oh, like their oh, crappy monster movies with the I like Sharknado too, though. I thought it was funny. Did you see that one? You know what? I haven't on principle. I just really hate what they do to crappy movies. I mean, they set out intentionally to make crappy movies, and I don't know. Should I watch? Yeah, but Sharknado two seemed like it. It was what Sharks on a Plane thought it was, or Shake Snakes on a Plane. Sharks on a Plane would be kind of good, actually. Mm, you couldn't get much mileage out of that, though. I mean, what, what's the shark going to do? Yeah. Uh, well, no, the plane's at the bottom of the ocean. That would explain to the shark. Make a purposely bad, funny, bad movie that's funny on purpose. Yeah. I don't know. I think that you're trying too hard. I don't think that. I think there has to be lightning in the bottle in some of that. And there has to be some actual mm-hmm. like like the the bad movies I really like are the ones that I think the people making them don't realize they're bad. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Like that's my and Chupacabra Terror. That's one in the car. You know, stuff like that. I love those because I think the people making those movies think, hey, we're making a good movie. Um, and that's part of the joy of it is there's this infectious enthusiasm with people who aren't really good uh, doing something that they're passionate about. Um, right, right. Well, Other but Showgirls, Showgirls thought it was a bad movie, and, sh- and Striptease didn't think it was a bad movie. 
And Showgirls is the good one. I actually so that, don't know Showgirls, that, though, so I can't, yeah. I've actually never uh, seen Showgirls. Yeah, I've never seen Showgirls either, but I'm, I, what? I, I can't believe that Paul Verhoeven didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven does, saying. at least at that stage in his career, I think there's a lot of self-awareness to what Paul Verhoeven was doing. Um, Wait, but that's what I'm saying. It's like he he is breaking your rule. Like he would, he set out to make a bad movie, and it, it's, it's actually kind of good. It's a good bad oh, movie. All right, well, well striptease is just boring. Right. How do we get on I, that? I don't think I can stand that much Elizabeth Berkeley though. I for the longest uh, time confused. A lot. I, yeah, I I so little can I can so little stand Elizabeth Berkeley. I'm not even sure who she is. For for the longest time, I was thinking whenever somebody said Elizabeth Berkeley, I was thinking Elizabeth Banks. So Ooh. I thought I thought oh, that, what? That's a terrible thing to say about Elizabeth Banks. I know, right? But I Berkeley's thought, really good in Showgirls. Well, I She's thought funny. that the, the Showgirls that Elizabeth Banks was in Showgirls, like when she was really young. Uh, that's kind of what I thought that movie was. Um, Did you hear they're making a TV series sequel to Wet Hot American Summer, but it's a prequel, and they're all going to play younger versions of themselves? I do know about this? Yes. Be a great, a great thing for fans of they Wait. came together to enjoy, like you. Tom, remember. did you know? And this is what. Okay, at the end, remember at the end of Jumps, 22 Jump Street, and they showed all those like fake sequels that were going to come out for it. Right. For the third one, those are all those are all going to be canon. That's they're going to be their thing. Like as long as like the one in space and the one where Seth Rogen replaces him for a movie. I'm with like, whatever all... Lord Miller want to do with it. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Anyway, dinosaurs. Uh, before we before we move on, I did watch another ten minutes of Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Uh, <laughs> here is something that I did not know, and I'm I'm increasingly thinking. You know what? I did I never saw Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. This is all new to me. Uh, so Joel Gray is the the mystical. Uh, he's not Chinese, by the way. He makes a big deal out of this. He is Korean. Um, <laughs> And they even do this. They couldn't get away with this today, but they do this. You know, they give him makeup to look like he's got Asian eyes. Like it's it's really in poor taste if you really believe that Asians should play Asians on screen. Um, so Joel Gray is the mystical Korean sensei who will train Remo Williams. Uh, they become roommates. It, it's like it, yeah, and there's all this stuff about like like Fred Ward forgets to pick up rice for the day, and uh, he makes fun of uh, the pajamas that that that. Uh, that his sensei sleeps in, and he makes fun of the fact that he wears glasses, and there's this cute Wait, little bickering between Wait, awesome. It is awesome. I, don't I, don't, I can't imagine why anybody would hate Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. I think it's awesome. In the first 20 minutes, I don't remember I've being seen. that funny. It's hilarious. Well, you make it sound great. Wait, I remember the dude goes, you smell like hamburgers. Well, I don't think he does. Uh, uh, his friend tells him, like he's told he's that, hey, uh, Joel Gray thinks you smell like it. hamburgers. Uh, and then Joel Gray makes fun of his diet, like what he eats, uh, and he, he tells him to only eat rice. Like, and there's this bickering between them that's really adorable. Oh. And, and Joel Gray is just—I mean, I love that guy. Whatever he does. Well, do you, do you think that that I, I've rice. never really felt like uh, only Asian actors can play Asian parts? I don't understand. No, I mean like Jonathan yeah. Price and Madame mm. Butterfly, isn't it? Isn't it? Wasn't he famously like the pimp or whatever in in, in the stage production of Madame Butterfly? Uh, Dingus, do you feel that way about black and, people? And like B.D. Wong is. was in that as well, by the way. Uh, yeah, speaking of B.D. Wong and the movie we saw this week. Uh, no, so no, I'm with you, Dingus. And by the way, I uh, I can't believe I'm telling you. I'm also I've also watched uh, Gods and uh, no uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Where all, there's all that brouhaha about, uh, you know, they didn't have, they had right. white people playing Egyptians. Um, I think the the fact That's that they're the east of it. 
Well, right. The, the, the fact that Egyptians aren't in Exodus is good for Egyptians because they would look equally ridiculous. Like, it would be denigrating <laughs> right. to Egyptians to be in that movie. Um, <laughs> that's that's it. Right. But would they see it that way? Would they go, thanks for doing us that favor? Well, it is it is a te- like, you know, if you've if you've got a movie about the history of Egypt and, uh, you know, and you have that's the thing. It's. That's like a. That's mostly a fabrication. Like, there's no Egyptian record of anything in Exodus happening. So not only are they getting played by white people, but it's all bullshit too. So it's like another country making a movie about. America. Well, whether or not it really happened, I think is beside the point. It's it's a matter of I would say like cultural pride. Um, yeah. So I can understand people objecting to it. I don't personally object to it, and I certainly have no problem with Joel Gray playing a, a Korean. I think it's adorable. It's it, he's just so cute in that movie. Um, what about Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's? Never seen that. Um, but yeah, I, I understand that's like an example of a really terribly racist Chinese character played by a white dude, or I don't know if he's Chinese Asian character played by a white dude. Does that bother you, Kelly? It's worse than my Bay Ling. Well, it's the Bay Ling thing, but not ironic. Right. But the whole movie's. Anyway, dinosaurs. Let's let's talk dinosaurs. So, Dingus, uh, why don't you tell folks a little bit about what we saw this week? Don't spoil it, because we'll get to that shortly. But why don't you give us a spoiler-free breakdown of what we saw this week, Dingus? All right. Well, this week we saw Jurassic World. Mm. (laughs) I don't understand that title. Jurassic World. You will understand it in about one sentence. Uh, This week we saw Jurassic World. A 2015 American science fiction adventure action sequel movie about how SeaWorld should be totally closed down. Oh, uh, we're going to get into it, Dingus. We are oh, going to yeah. get into it. You're going to throw I down. I can't wait. I don't, Tom's so dub on this topic. Remember the blackfish thing? Uh, I can't wait. It's going to be great. It was directed by Colin Trevorrow uh, and written by him with Rick Jaffa, Amanda Silver, and Derek Connolly, based on characters by Michael Crichton. Hmm. It stars Ty Simpkins, Laura Lapkus. What? Wait, it, who is that? Lauren Lapkus is the girl in the control room. Oh, the name's okay, the good. Velociraptors. Good. I, I really, really liked her. So Lauren Lapkus, uh, Jake Johnson. Girl in control room. Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt. <laughs> nope. None. Nope. <laughs> No, <laughs> Jurassic, no. Jurassic World, World around the world is rated PG thirteen for intense sequences of science fiction violence and peril. Science fiction violence. Yeah. Science this movie science fiction. More importantly, peril. Yeah, peril. Not even children. any mention of language either. I'm shocked at that. Tom well, and Jerry science fiction. So the language, if I'm not oh, mistaken, there was one shit and two bitches. Mm-hmm. Tom, can't say bitch. You shouldn't say bitch, Tom. Do they say that? You shouldn't say bitch. Is he reprimanded for that? Yeah, the the kid. Okay, bitch, and the kid goes, "You shouldn't say bitch." Right. right. So yeah, so even that that mild language is sort of cast in a disapproving light, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, On screen. uh, Jurassic World is the number two opening weekend of all time. Number two. Of all time, behind oh, the first Avengers up. and slightly ahead of the second Avengers. Ah, I hate everything I'm hearing. So if we look at the, num- the, the the biggest opening weekend takes of all time, the first Avengers was uh, 206.4 million. So basically $206 million in its opening weekend. Uh, I get that. Jurassic this... World opened at 204.6 million. 
So basically two million below what the first Avengers did. Biggest opening weekend of all time. Second biggest opening People weekend. People love of all dinosaurs. Time. Dinosaurs aren't impressive anymore. Oh no, no one's impressed with dinosaurs yeah, anymore. That's the line from the movie. Yep. Mm, I I'm not. Uh, right. Let's see. So uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, seventy percent of the reviews of Jurassic World are positive. Uh, if we look at the average rating from various reviews, uh, Metacritic measures that. And on Metacritic, Jurassic World is at fifty-nine out of a hundred. Huh. Kelly Wand, let's go ahead and spoil Jurassic World with a synopsis, which I am going to predict you call. The Jurassopsis Worldus. Now you stammered that, which means you actually thought you had a good you good guess, and you went, "Nope, that's out of character." I'm going to say something dumb. <laughs> it was strictly improv. Uh, just, just <laughs> by the seat of my pants, I had no Jurassic idea what I was saying, and I said it. Yeah. Dingus, what what would it be? What, like a good title? I have no clue. You're going to have to help me out. I, I don't like the guess. Really. Jurassic warps us. Huh. <laughs> Silence from Tom. I would Jurassic have thought this, which, which would have been racist, so I didn't want to say it. Wait. Oh, I thought of that, and I thought of the racism, too, and was going to apologize. So pretend I did. Jurassic warps us. A CGG hatches. Something that looks like a T-Rex yawns at us. Some vaguely Stone Age letters are all Jurassic warps us. Leslie Mann's a mom. What? She drags her two sons into a living room and goes, Okay, kids, have fun getting eaten by dinosaurs. Tell your Aunt Ron Howard that I said to babysit you guys till my next voicemail. The younger kid with stupid hairs all, Wait, it's Christmas vacation and you and Dad aren't even accompanying us to the place that's famous for being where kids keep getting electrocuted and almost eaten every few years? And instead you're dumping us on your sister in the middle of her work week? Does she even know we're coming? But the mom's on her cell phone ordering a new kid delivered. Out of the driveway, the kid whose characterization is that he's slightly older kisses his girlfriend goodbye. Then he's all, uh, goodbye. She's all, I'll try to remember what you look like, but don't quote me. But I'm only going to be gone a week. Dude, I'm looking at you right now and I'm forgetting. Over their shoulders, the boy's kid's dad gets into a car, honks the horn at them, then rolls down his window and goes, Oh, is your girlfriend sad you're weaving, older son? <laughs> <laughs> As the dad rolls up, he says that line. <laughs> Makes fun of him. As the dad rolls up the window and gets his head stuck and starts choking, the girlfriend's all, Your dad's pretty cute. What's his name? The boyfriend one shrugs. I don't even know mine. Kind of seeing <laughs> what you were talking about earlier. Although I think my brother was named after the hero of Fifty Shades of Grey, understandably. My parents are way into Valentine's Day. Leslie Mann hangs up the phone and goes, My sister's phone number just went to voicemail, and it's only 4 a.m. there. What a cunt. She starts crying. I lean over to Michael Crichton's body, suspended in amber, and go, I know I just paid 15 bucks to see dinosaurs bite shit in 3D, but these human characters are so interesting. I hope it's just this goes on forever, and they just talk for the next hour. They just talk and talk and talk. Because they're so much more evolved than dinosaurs. Been around a lot longer. Some words are all, meanwhile, in a room with computers in it on Jurassic Park uh, World. <laughs> Hi, I'm actor Vincent D'Onofrio. 
think my character is either a scientist or an animal trainer, but I represent the military, which is evil in this movie. I mean, they would be if they fought with dinosaurs instead of guns. Getting that happens, my uh, character's motivation. Also, one time my wife came out with a steak knife, so I adopted a wolf cub. Pretty crazy Thursday night, huh, Mr. Sulu? <laughs> so what you got for us to underestimate this movie? Today's dinosaur's called Godzilla, white man. <laughs> really? Really? Gave the brain of serial killer. Awesome. Yay. Also, we crossbred giant moth and spinning turtle and call it Gothera. It like Anne Rice novels. Yeah, well, look. Oh, wait, this is uh, Bryce Dells Howard. Sorry. I mean, Robert. <laughs> okay, well... So, oh, we're 0 for 3. Shit not going wrong and dinosaurs eating the guests. But this time we've got Chris Pratt and that Indian guy who looked worried that Andrew Garfield was following him in that Spider-Man movie. (laughs) (laughs) That guy was amazing in that movie. Chris Pratt's all, don't worry, I'm trying to use my upraised hand. (laughs) And occasionally a motorcycle to not eat us out of mutual respect. Can't get him interested in the tofu yet, but I think once I work in my second hand here. <laughs> Warning, zookeeper yanked into Velociraptor pit again. Warning. Don't worry, Extra, I have these little guys pretty tight, thanks to my hand showing them the beauty of mutual respect. Shit, here they come, huh, you idiot? <laughs> Fuck, that's gross. <laughs> Almost got my blue, you little bitch. <laughs> Guess I'll go check on that new mystery dinosaur. I'm pretty sure that one thinks I'm pretty mutually respectable. Three words later... Hey, Ron Howard, remember when we dated that one time? Now. Well, I'm still interested, just FYI. I think it's really cute how you sold your soul and neglect your nephews. Plus, you're all uptight and a corporate drone. You're always wrong about everything. Oh, so that's why they call this prattle. Why are you raising your hand at me? I don't know. Works on the velociraptors for like a billionth of a second occasionally. Hey, were these claw marks here a few seconds ago? Wait, look, they spell something. Hang on, let me read it. Seriously, you raise your hand just to read? I can't see around my hand. Maybe you should. It says, ha ha, I escaped. Humans are stupid, especially you and Pratt. Huh? Hmm, who do you think she was writing that to? A phone rings. Ron Howard's all, hello? Hey, it's the phone company. Uh, yeah, we're not seeing a red blip here. Uh, I guess that serial killer dinosaur's not in its pen anymore somehow. Bye. Click. Hang on, I'll go in there and raise my hand. Wait, they just said it's not in there. I know. Come on, Stinky. He grabs a guy wearing a hard hat and drags him into the pen. Okay, if you see anything giant and screaming, just raise my hand. Hey, I think I see a dinosaur's mouth. Wah! <laughs> Ron Howard's phone rings again. She's all, hello? Yeah, it's us again. Uh, we were kidding before. The dinosaur's in there, after all. There's people in there! Oh, uh, Howard, you and your practical jokes. Pratt, put your hand down and run. No, away from the dinosaur. Quit being your Parks and Rec character. Chris Pratt douses himself with gasoline and sets fire to himself so the dinosaur <laughs> won't have to eat a raw. As he burns, I lean over to Chaka and go, I already thought his character was a Tibetan monk because of his serenity. Set himself on fire, Dingus. I got you. I mean, Harley. Meanwhile, in a different place, the older kid character stares at a couple girls till they yawn and walk off shrugging. <laughs> kid brother saw, oh, I'm no expert on anything but crying, but I think to get them to have sex usually involves talking to them. Trust me, I don't like it any more than you do. Thanks, asshole. Now they're gone. So much for cheating on my girlfriend. 
I think mom and dad are getting divorced. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know something that'll cheer you up, kid. Remember when I protected you from grandpa's ghost in the garage? Nope. Meanwhile, an extra audience-sized aquarium. <laughs> kid got over his grief. Only he seems to know about. Meanwhile, next to an audience-sized aquarium, Ron Howard's all, uh, So we make water dinosaurs here, too, although I forget what they're called. Anyway, this one's big as fuck, and oh, look, it's lunchtime. One guy in the crowd's all, Yeah, lunch! As you see... Fuck, goddamn acting. <clears throat> Ron Howard's all, As you can see, we've cloned Robert Shaw and dangled him from that hook up there. After the classic Spielberg film, Hook. Wait, what? Not the clone? <laughs> that was my Robert Shaw. Some CG leaps out of the water and rips him in half, then explodes in slow motion. The crowd surges to its feet, cheering. <sighs> Except for one man, a chicken horn rims, who's all. I don't think that's funny. I don't think that's funny at all. See what I did, Tom? I love it. Ron Howard goes to the computer room. The Indian guy who was scared of Andrew Garfield following him in the laboratory in Spider-Man and made shit up about a tiger in Life of Pi is awful. <laughs> uh, who's saying that's the Indian guy? Hey, the new dinosaur that's evil got loose, but don't worry, we sent in a couple Asian dudes with tasers to get killed by it. You son of a bitch. Wait, Chris Pratt walks in and says that. You son of a bitch. Uh, where's you? Uh, he's in the can. Oh, okay, well, I'll just come in again. Wait, here he is. D'Onofrio, you son of a bitch. He punches him in the face. You wanted this to happen. Why would I want you to punch me in the face? Although I didn't hate it. You want to use my palette? <laughs> God. Thank you, Amsterdam. You want to use my pet velociraptors to kill other dinosaurs? That's not what velociraptors are designed for. I mean, doing it for the army. I mean, soldiers. I think that's the part I'm opposed to. That's sick and twisted, because they're alive, damn you, not like soldiers at all. Fine, what's your idea? Well, it's taken me weeks, but I can now get them to look bored when I raise my hand at them, like this. See it? Called talking to the hand. Wow, I can feel it working on right now. Hey, why don't you try using your hand trick on the serial killer dinosaur? Chris Pratt whirls till he's eventually facing Ron Howard, then goes, Evacuate the park, now! Or you're going to be watching 20,000 people eating corn dogs eating by two dinosaurs. Do you have any idea how full that's going to make them? Evacuate them where? On a fucking island. Still not sure why, though. How do all these people get here? Just do it. She picks up a phone and goes, attention, whoever I just called, evacuate the island. Repeat, we have a Jurassic <laughs> Park's 1, 2, and 3 situation again. <laughs> the two brothers are listening to the teenage operator in charge of the hamster ball ride as he's all... Oh, and so that's how come we had to kill all the giant hamsters. But we kept their balls. So, yeah, any questions? Uh, but phone's ringing. Hang on. Hello? Evacuate the what? Uh, okay. He hangs up, looks at the crowd, goes, Hang on. Pulls out a training manual and starts thumbing through it. E, E, Jack, Evac. Here we go. Uh, in the event of an unplanned dinosaur rampage, like in the three previous movies, tell the rubes to remain calm, kick this book in the fucking creek, smoke weed, and make a break for it. They're all doomed anyway. His eyes widen. Quick, does anyone here have any weed? The older brother shrugs and then nudges the other one. Bro, check it out. 
a hamster ball and a T-Rex-sized hole in a gate and a bunch of human blood, ready for some off-roading. Meanwhile, pterodactyls kill everybody. Because it got into the pterodactyl place that's made of glass. Ron Howard rolls her eyes at her phone and goes, Yes, whatever my sister's name is, relax. I had a brunette assistant hold up signs with their names on them. She's British, okay? By the way, do kids go to bed at different hours? I forget what my own adolescence was like. She turns around to see her assistant get carried off by a pterodactyl as the assistant raises a sign that says, Help. <laughs> Chris Pratt's all, Never mind her, help me. Ron Howard looks down to find him losing a wrestling match to a pterodactyl. She buys a gun and shoots it. Chris Pratt nods at her, kisses her, starts a motorcycle, and drives it for a couple feet. The kid brothers on screen. One of them's all, wow, your boyfriend's pretty badass. Ron Howard makes a duck face. Riding a motorcycle. He drives back towards them in reverse and goes... Hey, I watched D'Onofrio get his hand eaten. I don't know, maybe I should have raised mine to help him. But more importantly, now I like his plan of using our six baby velociraptors to nip the back of that giant serial killer one's neck. Maybe it'll teach the bigger one mutual respect. He drives off again. Then he comes back again and goes, Hey, I had a cool idea. Actually, it's the same as my old one, but instead of raising my hand to bore the velociraptors, I think I'll just spend the rest of this movie raising my hand indicate you guys should remain motionless whenever right next to a dinosaur's mouth. Where would you guys be without my useful reminders? He drives off again. Then he comes back. He's all, hey, I had another idea. I thought of something that's really effective against dinosaurs. Does anybody here have any meteors or a comet? I'll get those mixed up. Billy, how about you? No? But no wonder your parents are slipping up. <laughs> Pretend I said it right. He drives off again. Then he comes back. He's all, looks like the pterodactyls are all gone now for some reason. The only person they killed was that British lady who kept fucking up up everything he drives off again one of the brothers is all wait four five six seven that's it we need more teeth or maybe just leave the island why aren't there boats was that explained ron howard's all <clears throat> then she's all that gives me an idea hand me those stiletto heels and that signal flare i'm about to do a fucking full-on ellen brody an explosion rises up out of the water and eats the serial killer dinosaur chris pratt drives back on screen and goes Hey, anybody seen my vest? Raising my hand and the shirt's way heavier than I expected. Some words are all later after the CG budget's been used up. A doctor in a white smock roams among the 20,000 people at nods and what guys and nods at one guy's head bandage. Yeah, it looks good. Just remember it's enough for you. Just remember to push fluids and try not to get eaten by dinosaurs. That'll be $20,000. Chris Pratt puts his arm around the motorcycle in his hand. He's all, yo. The dinosaur that got killed walks on screen and yawns at us. Some fossil letters are all featuring Jimmy Fallon. The end. Wow. All right. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Kelly, I love how your Chris Pratt impersonation uh, both calls to mind Kevin Costner and Hank Hill. Who's Hank Hill? Hank Hill is this character that Mike Judge does, and I forget what the oh, actual oh, right. show is. Good fellas. But, uh, the Texas yeah. one. Yeah, Over I, the hill. What is like, it? Top of the King top of the, of the heap. King of the hill. Yeah. The hill. Oh, King of the hill. Thank you. Um, but but at times it creeps into that, and at times it reminds me like of a younger version of your Kevin Costner, which I think perfectly kind of nails it. Uh, and I like how it. I really like the way you did Chris Pratt. That's great. So Dingus, let's go in order of age. You saw this with your son. What does a ten-year-old <laughs> think of Jurassic World? Oh, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he was uh, he was freaked out by it. Don't what did, what's that big sigh, Kelly? One, it's okay. Did he see uh, the other ones first? Oh yeah, yeah. We were we've been oh, okay. very careful about when we're going to show them to him. I take back my um, sigh because because uh, I've been I haven't until this year, uh, really literally. 2015 i felt like they're too intense for him um but he's been so excited about seeing jurassic world that um that my mom uh, or his mom and me decided all right we'll we'll start to introduce him to the other movies um and he can he handled each movie fine he was very excited about it he was super excited to see this it was very intense for him and when i talked to him tonight I'm like, well, was it too was it too intense? And of course, he said it wasn't too intense. It was it was very intense for him. But what his point was that not all kids who are ten years old would be able to handle it. But he felt like he could. And what? Uh, okay, so it works for for a ten year old. How does it work for the ten year old's father? Oh, I I really really like this movie. I'm sorry to disappoint the two of you, but I really like this movie a lot. Wow. I know. Sorry, I apologize. Wait, Tom. I'm going to tell Tom you. Like- no, I was totally griefing you, Kelly. I had no idea Dingus liked this thing. I thought this thing was oh, absolute God. trash. I mean, it's and I will not be. Theft. Yeah, I will not be pulling any punches, Dingus. Normally, I will, I'm happy to defer to your enthusiasm, but I cannot imagine how anybody liked this piece of junk. I am just astonished, oh. Dingus. All right, Tom. You, and I don't want you to pull any punches. Go ahead and lay into me. Well, I don't even know why you liked it. So that, that's, I mean, I, this to me is a classic example of what happens when you give a big movie to an unproven director. Yep. You know, we saw yep. this. We, yep. We saw this with uh, when when Sony was like, "What are we going to do with Spider-Man?" And they gave it to this Mark Webber fellow, and and I thought the Spider-Man that he did was was both of them actually were terrible. Uh, it's just Webb. I know you guys kind of. Oh, Webb, right. Thank you. Uh, I know you I guys. I didn't like them. Well, no, no, I know Dingus at least liked Captain America Winter Soldier, but I think giving the, that movie to the Russo brothers, I thought that was terrible. Uh, uh, well, I, I, think that, I think that's the opposite example, and that's Colin? what I, I knew you were kind of kind of come to me against this, and I would, I would talk about Winter Soldier as a perfect example of that, but we disagree on that movie, so it doesn't really work as right. an example. So, and Colin Trevorrow, who has just done one little indie film called Safety Not Guaranteed, which I thought was cute, but I didn't care for ultimately – um, yeah, yeah. And was just as clunky with its characters as this movie. This guy has no business doing a big budget tentpole movie like like Jurassic World. Now I say that about the second biggest opening of all time and what's going to be a huge commercial success. But in a way, it doesn't matter whether Jurassic World is good or bad. You know, this is a classic example of a, just a successful franchise that's going to make a lot of money. Uh, I think part of the reason it's going to make a lot of money is Chris Pratt is a huge star. Um, and they're they're leveraging him perfectly. Uh, you know, it's been it's been a long time since there's been a Jurassic World movie. I think there's this kind of pent up anticipation for it. That, that's huge. But I think Colin Trevorrow has no idea what he's doing. The script mm-hmm. is horrible. The direction mm-hmm. is horrible. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no memorable action. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 supposedly new dinosaur is is just inane. Oh. The plotting is terrible. It looks just like a T-Rex. Exactly. Like, and, and they, they say all these cool things it can do with like camouflage and thermal stuff, and it's got these these grabby arms, but they do nothing with that. This guy has no idea how to make a movie. And um, he's he's trying to he's supposed to compete with Spielberg's action, Spielberg right. like in Jurassic Park. Because I can see Joe Johnson like Joe Johnson has a career doing like action movies, and I can see someone plugging him into you know the Jurassic World franchise. But this this guy who's just done this one underwhelming little romantic comedy, why on earth like like there's no reason that Jurassic World can't be commercially successful and good. Um, right. 
All right, so Dingus, before Kelly Wan and I just so explain what like what worked for you. Why why did you like it? Um, you know, we're, we we've both just sort of. And I've been waiting to say this. I just hated this thing. I thought this was terrible. It made me angry. Me too, because I really resent. I was looking forward to it. I want a Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. I love dinosaurs. I mean, I kind of thought it might not. Happens. I kind of thought it might not be good, but I had no idea it was just going to be this inept. I, I thought. Um, so, so Dingus, <sighs> where Kelly Wan and I, obviously too jaded. Maybe our expectations were too high. No. For whatever it sucks. reason, why did it work for you, <laughs> Dingus, and what, and what did you like about it? Well, I think inept is a completely uh, unrealistic and unfair way to put it. Um, I do think that the, this current trend of putting uh, of plugging in directors who are who ha- who have no power into movies like this or Winter Soldier is a way for the people who actually run the franchises ah, and who are actually sure. running it. Sure. They're the, I think that more and more what the trend we're going to see is that directors in this particular regard are not the auteur directors that you see Steven Spielberg being. So Steven Spielberg might have made this into a bloated overlong movie. I don't think that that is the case with this movie. I want to quickly interrupt you and think that's, that's, that's a very canny insight and what it reminds me of is the way that television series work where the director just shows up and they have a new director every time but the momentum that a TV series has with its cast you know as a franchise the director can't have that much impact um, and the TV series just goes on its own momentum and and, you're, and and a director in that case is sort of second fiddle to the showrunner the producers the writer so I think you're absolutely right I was thinking maybe they get a guy like Colin Trevorrow because they save money but I think you're right in that they can, as a studio, sort of decide what this movie is going to be like, what's the style, what's the tone. We'll just hire this kind of new guy, and we can pretty much have him do whatever we want him to do. Right. Tom, and you I, know what I, I think, think happened? Go ahead, Kelly. Well, just like this movie was in development hell for a long time, right. although so was Fury Road. So it, it is kind of a crapshoot, but like – I think they kept fucking like, oh, the script's got to be right. And people just kept going in and out and writers strike and directors losing interest. Like it's finally gets it's, it's like Alien Resurrection where it's like, OK, we got to have this movie out. Let's just do it and make it. And so they just kind of take what they have and just slap it together. Well, and there, like, and, and there are so many elements like there was a dispute going on between uh, Derek Connolly and Colin Trevorrow. They're, they're the writing team that, that wrote and directed Safety Not Guaranteed. And uh, is it Silver and Jaffa? The, the other two writers who yeah. did an earlier draft, uh, and there was an arbitration with the Writers Guild. You know, Trevor and Connolly didn't want their name on the script. They insisted they didn't use enough of their script. And it was one of those classic, you know, Writers Guild battles. Um, you can tell when you, look at the, when you look at the breakdown, you see the ampersands and the word and spelled out. Right. And you can kind of tell where the breakdowns of the, of the battle went. And even reading of the different incarnations. You know, John Sayles did a treatment of this, which involved uh, mercenaries, like uh, dinosaur-bred mercenaries, yeah. and you can sort of see the, the through line of that. Um, so, Dingus, I'm sorry, we cut you off. I want to know why this worked for you. You were pointing out, you were sort of making, you, you, were, you were suggesting a justification for Colin Trevorrow being brought on board. So, so go ahead and take it from there. All right. Uh, but just along that same through line, I think Kevin – I can not I can never remember how to say his name. Kevin Feig? Feige, I think. Feige, The maybe. Marvel Comics oh, guy. Feige. The guy who sort of is the overlord of the Marvel Universe. Right. I think he's got a, a more um, nuanced hand on the tiller of the ship than perhaps whoever is controlling whatever's going on here. But I think they're trying to do the same thing and bring in somebody that they can right. control – and and you know produce this. So I think that's why for me, Captain America: Winter Soldier. I mean, is is a far superior movie than this. But I still really like this movie, and I don't think this. I I, I don't think whatever 
whatever's going on here. I think that this guy is really – I don't know what uh, what Trevorrow is supposed to be on this because I think that the definition of director might be changing for this kind of movie. Right. Um, and, it, you know, again, it's sort of that auteur thing that I was talking about, that if Steven Spielberg had done this and he hasn't bothered to do it for the last two, uh, yeah, he did Lost World, which he, I thought, did terribly. Um, I like and, well, I I can't stand. I really, I really haven't appreciated much of what he's done lately because I don't think anybody can talk about him, can talk to him and say you have to edit this, and he'll just say you know f you. Uh, but if you have Colin Trevorrow, you can say edit that out, do it. Right. Um, right so, so Dingus, explain. Yeah. So explain then why? Because I I would use inept, and I'll stand by that. I mean, I think there's so many okay. things in here yeah. that are that are just absolutely just basic, you know, filmmaking 101 failures. Um, you know, obviously you disagree, and it worked for you on some on at least a few levels, explain what those levels were. You know, what did you like about this? What worked for you? Well, I really like the idea that we've sort of, we've leapt into this in uh, not defined future where um, the the other three movies where we just like futzed about on the island, then we ran over to San Diego for a few minutes and that was, that happened. Um, it, but now we're back and, and we've, we've realized the, the dream of the park. We're just jumping forward to that. It's almost – it's almost I wouldn't call it a reboot, but it's almost this idea of – I don't know when this takes place in the future, but it's clearly in the future from when all of these horrible things happened. But they just decided we're going to do this movie as as if it's a dinosaur sea world. We're going to throw all these dinosaurs in here. We're going to throw 20,000 people onto the island, and we're going to make it into this huge thing, and we're also going to deal with all the consumer issues that deal with that. But we're also going to make a really exciting movie as far as I'm concerned. And then from a personal standpoint, um, I was – there are things uh, – obviously, there's a ton of things that I was disappointed with, but I'll let you guys handle all that stuff. Uh, I, I do like the way Chris Pratt and – the Velociraptors, where he, he kind of trains them like a pack of dogs, and he deals with them oh. like a pack of dogs. I love that aspect of the movie. Hey, and hey. having not watched having not watched a single trailer of this movie, watching him do that sort of clickety-click, I mean, that's not something I used for my dog. I never used the, the click method, which is a, a method for training dogs. Um, I never used that method. I used a different method for training my dog. Uh, but using that click method and watching him do that and watching him sort of try to bond with them and, and deal with them, I really liked that. I liked watching the movie and thinking, oh, now he's going to use them to hunt the Indomitus Rex. And uh, what I didn't see was the, the you know, ridiculous uh, Vincent D'Onofrio character coming in and, and being uh, I'm evil military. But I really loved the Chris Pratt character, even though we drop most of what is enjoyable about him. So I, 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 I disagree with you guys that there's, that there's, that the action isn't good. I think the action is really good in, in a lot of it. Well, hold that, hold that uh, thought. Thanks. I do want to talk about the action, but I do want to jump in on this. Why, why I think it's inept because I'm with you dingus and that I love this idea of, of him training the Velociraptors, and I love how they introduce early on that the Velociraptors aren't friendly little dogs. They could still turn on him, and there's some peril there. There's some right. uncertainty. Um, but where I think the movie is inept is it has this cool idea. This was apparently part of several early drafts of, of what Jurassic World would be, and it completely undermines it with some goofy mm-hmm. bullshit about raptors communicating with each other and there's a new alpha where the indomitus rex like sways them but not only that if that's not stupid enough the finale i had no idea why any dinosaur was allying with any other dinosaur why the velociraptors changed their mind um what all of that stuff 
just gets completely swept under the rug for, for whatever little convenient plot twist they want to add. Can you I know? can I ask you a real quick yeah, question? Sure, sure. Did you see the difference in the characters of the Velociraptors? You mean like could I tell Blue from Charlie from from? Yeah, from Delta. From no, yeah. no I could not. Okay. They all look alike. Yeah, because for instance, when I asked my kid tonight, when I talked to him, I was like, "Who's your favorite character?" I thought for sure he was going to say, "I think his name is Lance, but I'm not sure." The 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 guy from Safety Not Guaranteed, Jack Johnson, who's in the the control room, because my, my kid was like, "Oh, he's really funny. I like him." But without hesitation, my kid said Blue. Well, there's one of them that was obviously supposed to be the hero of Velociraptor who comes, who has that. And again, this is where I would use the word inept. That slow motion Velociraptor run with the swelling music at the end. That was that was laughably bad. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I presume, well, I think I think the music is uniformly. And I bad, presume not bad. just the music, but just if you want to have a slow motion running, swelling music. I mean, the fact that the music is bad is just a minor issue. The placement of that scene, these supposed, like I think Trevorrow thought, yes, this is going to be a stirring, awesome moment where the Velociraptor comes to the rescue. It was just ridiculous. Um, everything about it, and partly. I couldn't tell one Velociraptor from the other. I thought some of them mm. were dying. I didn't know anything. The action was such a jumble. I was like, oh, wait, how many Velociraptors are there? Did, are these Velociraptors immune to damage? Um, like, I, I couldn't tell the T-Rex from the other one. That yeah, that was another thing. I, I, they even say that Indominus Rex is supposed to be white. That was not a white dinosaur. Like, yeah, it wasn't white. Yeah. Um, the only reason I could tell the Indominus Rex from the T-Rex was it had bigger arms, which I think it should have done cooler things with. And... But at any rate, so, so Dingus, yes, I'm, I'm with you. I really wanted to see Chris Pratt dealing with the peril of these, these incredible beasts, and can he trust them or can he not trust them? I loved that concept, and I think the movie, and this is why I would use the word inept, completely abandons that concept in terms of, like, like I think Chris Pratt and Velociraptors, they later, you know, this, these things that were going to eat him when he tried to rescue the worker... They later uh -huh. share a meaningful look, capital M, capital L. Yeah, right, yeah. My God, that was so insulting to me that they set up this cool concept and then completely abandon it. And, yes. And, and I don't understand why did the Velociraptors turn against the Indominus Rex. Like, does the movie answer that? If it does, I don't know. Like, it, it, the Indominus Rex wins them over when they first meet. And again, I could sort of see that. Okay, cool. There, there's a new alpha. I think Chris Pratt even says that. Why do the Velociraptors turn again? Because they look at me. I, th I think it, I think it relates to the bond. I mean, I, I, I think that's something that they're talking about when you know when they're all in all the gangplanks and we see that first training sequence. I, I think it's all related to the bond that he's created with them, and I think that that's more important than the uh, whatever genetic thing that happened in the lab because his idea. I, and I do, I do agree. I think that this, uh, that's a little weak. Okay. That whole, oh, there's a new alpha because, oh, you guys put Velociraptor DNA in there. Uh, I, th I think that's a little silly. But I think that the idea is that the bond that they have created is more important than okay. whatever this genetic thing. Fair is. enough. And I would have liked to have seen that surfaced more, like because I had no idea. And and Dingus, I, if you were handling a script and and you wanted that to be the reason, I would assume that you would make sure that that's sort of clear in the storytelling, because I had no idea. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that was more important, and I also think that it's a shame that – and you guys are kind of right about that, that battle with the T-Rex, although I do think that it looked great. Um, I think that one of the things that they lost was that whole idea 
of the camouflage that they just play with early on and that you don't really use right. enough in the in the park. And why not play with the camouflage there with the T-Rex? It's a classic uh, Chekhov's gun. You know, you show the gun in the first act, you shoot it in the third act. You know, if we're going right. to show that this velociraptor can camouflage and hide from thermal imaging, Colin Trevorrow doesn't know any better than to actually bring it back in the third act. I mean, that... that right. I would say inept, but okay. Right. So let's get into this because I think also we're going to have some disagreement here. Um, we're all on this podcast, uh, and who in the world isn't huge Chris Pratt fans? Um, <laughs> I I love the guy. I loved watching him. I just thought he was so terribly miscast, and this movie did almost mm-hmm. nothing to cash in on his unique appeal. And I was just yeah, so, his earnest, his earnestness, his sense of humor. Um, mm. Anybody could have played this role, and. You know, like I said, I loved watching him, and I couldn't be happier that he's as successful as he is. This movie is going to just give him that many more options to do whatever he wants to do. But I thought the movie took terrible advantage of Chris Pratt's unique appeal. Um, so I was super disappointed in how this movie used him. Uh, Dingus, was that something in the movie that actually worked for you? Uh, it, you know, when I, once I started looking over my notes, I mean, he has a lot of things that... I, one of the notes I wrote when I was watching the movie was, you guys lost the very essence of Chris Pratt in this movie you're you're eliminating his humor but I mean there are there are little there are little touches of that um in the movie and that's fine uh but I think maybe as and this is probably me making excuses because I ended up liking the movie and I like him so much um I think he has the right to Maybe venture away from that and not just not not do the same thing he did in Parks and Rec or the same thing he does in Guardians of the Galaxy and do something that's more um, along the lines of Indiana Jones. And I uh, agree with you, but I don't think that was in the script at all. Like, I don't think there was any writing that supported. It's not I'm all for Chris Pratt trying something different. And Andy Dwyer is very different from Star-Lord. Um, yeah. But right. I don't think there's anything here that. This is doing fault. something different. This, yeah, it's not his fault at all. They just gave him nothing. And you're right, Dingus. Yeah. There were I can think of maybe three cute little like humorous lines, um, the little fist bumping thing. What else? I like uh, the I don't have a boyfriend line. That line actually made me laugh. Uh, well, there's the great. Do you want to have this consultation uh, in my bundle? Right. Yep, yep. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So there were a couple of moments like that, but they just seemed like. I mean, they didn't seem integral to the character at all. Uh, there was no chemistry with Bryce Dallas Howard. And I don't know whose fault that was, because by the way, I thought she looked fantastic. Um, I thought she looked yeah. fantastic, but I couldn't. I don't know what the heck is going on with her in this movie. I, I just think again, zero chemistry, and her character. I mean, the the, the writing this thing is so awful. Her character's terrible. His Horrible. character's terrible. The kids' stuff is terrible. Um, oh, I hate I, everyone. I want them all to die. There's no reason for any of them, including wow. all the park goers. They're going to to like. See tortured animals eat each other. So why well, am Kelly, I for them to live? Kelly, are there characters that you actually liked in this? Are there things that you liked that Chris Pratt did? Or I mean, what are the I things liked, you liked about his first characters are concerned? I like I like the I I agree with you that it was an interesting idea. Although I thought this movie ruined the Velociraptors and it wasn't worth doing. Like it it really it bummed me out. Um, but I did like when the other chick said, "I have a boyfriend" to that guy when he was like in a say he was going to stay oh, behind. The control room. That's the shot down. That's where the guy in my audience said shot down. Yeah, that's the Jake yeah. Johansson and uh, Jake Johnson and what was the girl's name thing is? Uh, Lauren Lapka. And Lauren Lapka. Yeah, oh, I thought he bitch. I thought he said shot down when the helicopter blew up. Oh, you, you well that yeah, that would also apply to that line wouldn't. And it? he just didn't know what shot down. <laughs> no, it's it's him doing this this great the swelling music. I'm going to kiss the girl and she's like, "I, I have a boyfriend." And he's like, "Oh, all right." Well, that's we'll funny. Have, okay. Then she we'll said have it a fun. hug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
which is which is great for this. Jake Johnson because the the character he plays in Safety Not Guaranteed is very different from that. Right. Um, and I really kind of liked watching Safety Not Guaranteed, even though I wasn't crazy about the movie. After watching him play the sort of I'm the goofy character in this movie. Right. Um, so, uh, so for me, I don't, uh, yeah, I didn't root for, I'm with Kelly. I didn't root for anyone in, in this movie. Not even Ty Simpkins. I love that kid. Yeah, really? no, he Ew, just God. try a lot, but. Which he, one was he? He was the one from Iron, Iron Man, Man 3. 3. Yeah, he was the younger of the kids who decides to randomly cry on the tram. Uh, uh. <laughs> decide to randomly stop that. No, seriously, because that that was you the most random it. moment for a heartfelt, you know, reveal yeah. about the parents getting di- getting divorced. That that was random. Yeah. I would defend the use of random. There's no reason to have this scene the script there. And blame that on the script. Don't blame that on the kid randomly crying. It's not his fault. Well, no, oh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about the actor. I'm talking about the kid, the the, the character in the movie. Oh, okay, decides okay. to random. Yeah. And no, the kid yeah. didn't do anything. I mean, again, the kid was fine. Bryce Dallas Howard was was totally hot. Chris Chris Pratt hugely appealing. Irfan Khan, I love the guy. This movie didn't know what to do with any of these actors, and I'm not blaming the actors. Uh, uh, okay. The writing so bad, even they couldn't help. I mean, there really are some of the exchanges, the like the, the like like the horrible. when Vincent D'Onofrio becomes the bad guy, or or when B.D. Wong yeah. is explaining the like some of the exchanges were, were just cringeworthy dialogue, um, and, and just so ham-handed at times. Here's another example. Um, even you know, regardless of the fact that I didn't feel they had any chemistry, that kiss. Between Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt, <laughs> the placement of that—we're going to have that that one horrible scene where everybody's being killed by pterodactyls. There's there's chaos and there's havoc, and she's just you know saved his life by shooting the pterodactyl, or whatever that's attacking him. And there's the kids that they're trying to protect, but before they run to the kids, they share a kiss. That and yeah, then I would use the word inept. What a what that was. Yeah. And I, I wrote in my notes, stupidest kiss ever. I could not believe. Wait, it. Tom, and then the kid goes. The kid goes, who's he? As opposed, like, that's the first question he has for her. Well, everyone around him is like, right, right. Car- pterodactyls like, wait, who's this man? You're kissing kissing? someone? Right, right. What's yeah. pterodactyls? What's going on and with again, you? The, the movie was full of bad dialogue. Can I just say like they're yeah, pteranodons. They're not ter- pterodactyls. Whatever they are. Don't change the subject. Yeah, it does not matter. Yeah. <laughs> and another <laughs> yeah, example yeah, right, of that, uh, at, the, at the cliff, when they jump <laughs> off, and then they jump into the water to escape the, the Indominus Rex, and then the older kid says to the younger kid, as if it's a point of pride, "Hey, you jumped!" Like, like as if he wouldn't have jumped. Like, like he's. No, he said we jumped. No, no, he said you jumped because he was no. afraid to jump. He yeah. definitely blotted his little brother for jumping off of a cliff when he had an Indominus Rex chomping at his ass. I mean, that was. Who leaves that line in there? That was ridiculous. Hey, remember. Because what you're trying to do with that terrible, terrible older brother Zach role is to make an arc where he becomes an actual older brother. Because otherwise, he's just a total douche. I mean, the mother even says when she's on that terrible phone conversation uh, with with Claire that I I know how Zach treats Gray when everybody is away from him, and now Zach is learning how to actually be an older brother. I'm okay with that, Dingus, but you don't give someone a cookie for jumping off a cliff when when an Indominus Rex is about to kill him. Yeah, really. That is not just the the actual physical line placement of, hey, you jumped. I'd be, yeah, I'd be mad if somebody said that. Well, I thought thought the line was, we jumped. I thought it was a, I thought No, because remember, the kid was saying, and this is another stupid line, I can't jump. Like, he was saying, there's a dinosaur bearing down on them that's going to eat them, and rather than jump off a 20-foot cliff into water, he says, I can't jump. The little kid says that, which again, stupid line. Yes, you can jump. You know, you can either sit here and get eaten by a dinosaur, or you can jump 20 feet into the water. Uh, 
I mean, again, just just I thought inept dialogue. And biggest, I get what you're saying as far as like they're trying to create a bond between the brothers. I could see that, and I just thought it didn't work. Um, so I think it's, did, did this skeeve you out? The older brother with a girlfriend. They're trying to make his character trait being that he keeps checking out other girls and doesn't yeah. want to pay attention to his brother. I thought that was the quickest way to make someone completely unlikable, to make me hate a character. I so wanted that kid to get eaten. Yeah. Why didn't he? He's the villain. Well, I just think he's an... I, I, I'm... I feel bad about saying this because I feel bad about talking about younger actors. I think the the actor is Nick Robinson. I think that's his name. I just don't think he can handle it. But, but as far I as a piece that, of writing, that, I think that, that that's sort of a natural thing that kids go through when they when they go on vacation. They flirt with other girls when they're in pu- in puberty. Okay, because okay, I just think it makes him hugely unlikable. And oh, it's, everybody I, in the it audience totally makes that's him unlikable because we judge from the point of view of. Oh, why would you do that? You have a you have a girlfriend, but I think that when guy, when guys in puberty are off on some adventure, they're, they're going to flirt with other girls. I, sure, I but if they want us to care about that guy's character, right, and that's right. all they give us to hang exactly. on him, like but why it, would they? But give isn't them- that a normal thing that kids do? That well, high is, school kids do? Right. Thing is, this is a fantasy adventure movie. This right. is not, and the, the function of the character is for us to root for him. So, so you honestly would have been better with him just being like, "I'm going to marry this girl who I I have a Facebook no, relationship back home." Yeah, I would have been. Go ahead, Kelly. Go ahead. Well, what Tom said. Yeah. Yeah. No, I well, would have been better with if if you're going to make if if we're going to have just a little bit of time to develop this character, don't make the primary facet of his development mm-hmm. that he's this skeevy guy who's willing to cheat on his girlfriend and check out other sixteen-year-old chicks. Um, that makes him look creepy. That makes us, the audience, not like him. If you want to make a movie about actual adolescents dealing with adolescent issues, make that movie. But I think that's more about his 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 character again. Wait, he never hooked up with any of them because in well because the dinosaurs terrorize the park. It's not just that. Yeah, he gets selected. Ruins it for him, and that that fucks it up. There's no way that I mean he doesn't make the step. He his brother says, "What do you think is going to happen if you just stand here looking at them?" I mean that's all he's doing. He's standing there looking at them. That's it. But he's looking at is, them. And his little brother makes fun of him for that, and then he ruins the flirtation. I mean, and that. But part of his progression is as, as a character, and I don't necessarily like the character. I can't believe I'm defending this particular actor or this character. But I think part of his progression is understanding that the important thing here is being an older brother. But the Jeff Goldblum character in the first movie is flirting with Laura Dern, and it's interesting and funny right, right. and like a good character story. Yeah. It's like it would be like if in that movie we previously established that Jeff Goldberg Goldberg is happily married at home, and then we right. have that interaction with well, Laura Dern. It's just clumsy. It's clumsy. A totally and a, different dynamic. Absolutely, it's different. But I'm just making an analogy. Yeah, one's good. Right. One of them, we kind of think the flirtation is cute. In this, the movie goes to pains to show us that he's got a girlfriend at home, and it makes it look creepy and unsympathetic. And I all you had to do, else, that's it. Yeah, all you had to do is just not have him have a girlfriend at home. The movie is that clumsy. Right. Just cut that little yeah. scene, and suddenly it would be maybe cute and weird and a defining character moment. But I just think the movie is so inept that it doesn't know not to have him have a girlfriend at home and, and have him checking out right. other women. Um, all right, fair enough on that last point. Fair enough. So let, let's get then to... Uh, um, well, no, no, Sedingus, tell me something else you liked about it. I mean, I, I don't, I, I mean, I could just rant about all sorts of little incidentals yeah. like that, but I'm, I'm just more I curious, hate. like what, what made other, let's talk about some of the action then, for instance, because Dingus, I presume that's some of what worked for you. Um, I, 
I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you, just having that laid at my feet. Well, or, or something. I mean, it works really the... well in the movie. I think that okay. action with them in those silly gyro balls. At, well, well, again, silly. I mm-hmm. again, this is one of the things that I like about the movie is that it it pushes us into some sort of indefinable future. I don't think it it, it ages it. It just says that this this takes place sometime after Isla Nubar had these horrible uh, disasters. I just want to point out, I do think Jake Johnson says specifically how many years ago it was that the Jurassic oh. Park incident was in relation to his t-shirt. So You're technically, right. I, his, his weirdly hidden t-shirt. Right. Yeah. So technically, uh, I do think it's supposed to be like a kind of a real time, it's this long after the, the previous ones. Yeah, but, but right, I, I'm not, I'm not how long that is. It, right. it, I, I think that it, it's some amount of years in the future, right? And it's definitely not pretending none of that happened. Uh, it's pretending, yes, right. that happened. We're moving ahead anyway. And in 95 or something. Right. What, but it also deals with the fact that any time – I mean we know, we know and we, we hear about it on the news every six months or so. Somebody dies on a roller coaster. We still go back to that park. We don't care. We put mm. roller coasters. When, when not, we one that's, not one that's by like, the south. That's what happens. People die on roller coasters. We hear about it, and then six months later, you don't, your kid on it. Yeah, we don't, we don't die. go to a wild animal park. That doesn't park. happen. No, it doesn't happen. Saying, go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry. Well, just like it's the difference between uh, we've made these animals that keep killing you like it's like saying if, if people got killed like a pit bull nature park three times i think people would stop going people kids get killed at, at parks where they fall into the pit with tigers that happens we read about that story every and we go so years, and we still go right. back to see if it happens it, happen. happen. yeah. it still happens we still go on roller coasters even though we know people die and we still go back but, to zoo even though we know Weird things happen. And so you can imagine, or I can imagine, where the public would go like, well, that was just a freak accident. Let's go to uh, Here's the problem I have with that, uh, in that, uh, yeah, people people die in accidents in, in theme parks. Theme parks get more heavily insured. They continue to run. Absolutely. I'm fine with that. What I'm not fine with is they are so woefully unprepared in this movie to handle when things go wrong that's what strikes me as ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, uh, everything, yeah. you know, everything, all the little tension moments in this rely on people doing stupid things and not knowing things and not being prepared. It's as if, you know, they constantly say, the other they constantly say, yeah, these other previous things happened. But yeah, Kelly, it's like as if they learned nothing from the previous movies. Yeah. They're so ill-prepared for and, and the basic premise that starts this off that – they did not know that the dinosaur could have thermal imaging camouflage. You know, how old is that thing? How long has it been there? The basic premise that breaks down, you know, where the crack begins that begins these cascading failures is so unrealistic and implausible to me. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that's what I'm watching for. Uh, You know, we talked about this in Westworld, for instance. You know, theme park nightmares, that's kind of a a whole genre, and we love these. Uh, So I love watching and thinking, okay, where does something start to break? You know, whose fault is it that something's going to happen? Right. Um, in the original Jurassic Park, it's clearly it's, it's corporate espionage that undoes everything. Uh, here, it's the fact that nobody realizes that the, the Indominus Rex can turn off thermal camouflaging. Uh, and that, that their justification for that is they bred it, they, cro- they used cuttlefish DNA. Like, I thought that was so ridiculous uh, that... Uh, but it's, it's not just that. It's also that aspect of what B.D. Wong, Dr. Wu, is doing as a side project. I mean, he's 
he's he's controlling things in a different way. I, I really was pleased to see B.D. Wong show up again because my kid is like, oh, B.D. Wong's back. Um, but he's also doing a side project with the military. So th- this isn't necessarily an accident, but it is an accident because they don't necessarily understand the powers that they're dealing with. Well, the side- I'm glad you brought up Westworld because that would be my – that was going to be my under for this um, because I love that that sort of – that comparison that you just made that when, when, a, when a park breaks down. And I think that's what happens, but what you have here is this alternate idea of – and this is – sort of cribbed from what Nedry is doing in the first movie is the, the selling of technology for other reasons, including ed- entertainment. Right. But the, the thing is when the park breaks down, like the, the stupid, you know, the fact that they send out these heavily armed mercenaries and none of their stuff works against the dinosaur. Uh, well, they, they're sent out with non-lethal weapons and they don't understand what this creature can do because of what the scientists Right. So it's the fact that they're sent out with non-lethal weapons right there. Because I mean, the, the, the creature is too expensive to be killed. The fact that – right. If, if these things had happened previously in the past time and we're still going to use that as an excuse, you know, right. the creatures are too precious, they're too expensive to be killed, there's a greedy corporate guy in charge, there's an evil military guy in charge. Like at this point – at what point – do they wise up and realize this is what stopped us? This is what screwed us up before. Yeah. This is how things got out of control. Well, how's that different from aliens? Because uh, they stopped doing it. That was like one. No, no, right, exactly. Like aliens, they're, they're still going after this ultimate weapon, which is clearly what this movie is trying to is trying to. Aliens evoke. isn't a theme park, though. Aliens is a, an right. evil corporation pursuing this technology. You know, well, this is the been, same theme park. This is a repeat of what happened in movies in, in the previous movies. It's a theme park that's supposed to be controlled. That's that's keenly aware how things can go wrong, how they have gone wrong in the past, and like the first movie. And just so that we can get. A thrill ride movie. This movie is too inept to explain its way around it. So it hand waves with stuff like, "Oh, we don't want to hurt the dinosaur." Or, oh, it has thermal no, no. imaging. Or, or oh, it's not hand waving. That's them not wanting to ruin their investment because of the military investment. <laughs> okay, so you're right. It does waving. explain it, but I think I think the the explanation holds no water if you're going to locate this movie in the Jurassic Park universe. I think that makes because no at the sense. end of the first movie. The rich Ember character goes, they go, your, your park's stupid. We can't have this. And he's all, yeah, you're right. And so then in the second one, he still hasn't made the park yet. It's like, oh, there's another island and something else dumb's going on. Yeah, well, why, think, why don't they have I, boats? Like, why don't people get on boats? Like, that's this whole idea, too, yeah. that everybody is stuck there waiting on a boat to come back while pterodactyls pick them off one by one. Well, I right. think the, the, the location between those two things is it is totally in consumerism and who is – uh, actually, doing the uh, what do you call an advertiser who s- supports something? I'm just blanking on the name. Sponsor. Thank you. And the sponsorships and and that sort of that blending of of, of the way war works and the way who's giving who's giving the money to the park and where the sponsorships are coming from. Some of the sponsorships are coming from Pepsi, which they make jokes about. Some of the sponsorships are coming from the military. Which they don't, which they don't make jokes about. So I think that that is totally justifiable. That we're not going to destroy this asset that we have spent untold millions of dollars for because the military is going to use it. And I think that that's where this movie exists between the Jurassic Park world and the Alien world or Aliens world. Thing is, how do you feel about there being an air raid siren in the park? <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved I loved all of those those uh, those air raid announcements. There's been a containment. What did she say? I can't remember what she said. There's been a containment problem uh, when the Tyrannodons were coming in. I loved that stuff. 
How do you feel about the ride? A ride with where people just get in a hamster ball and drive it around yeah. however much they want to out in an open. They don't know the controls. Yeah. Just here, drive this around in the park. Come back whenever you feel like it. I thought when they were setting it up that it was like some kind of thing on rails. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. They're in a 300 and, you know, they're in a, in a transparent ball that doesn't obstruct their view. They're going to be moved along a rail like the San Diego Wild Animal Park. Nope. You get in and you just drive around wherever you want to go. I totally see that as an extrapolation of the San Diego thing that you just talked about. They just was there two weeks ago, and we're riding around on a tram, and there's like these berms of, of dirt, right. and there's these, these trenches dug, right. and so maybe some of these animals can't get to us, maybe the cheetahs can't get to us, but maybe some something could happen. I mean, I well, there's I a reason you can't at the at the San Diego Wild Animal Park. You can't just get in a go kart and drive around right. amongst so the wild anywhere animals. you want. No, yeah. but this is an extrapolation of that concept. And, I mean, and just I like just that. like all the excuses for like how these things go wrong, I think it's an inept extrapolation. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous. Right. Like I couldn't believe we don't know the rules. Right, you could get in the 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 ball, and you could even drive it outside of the little field. You just drive it wherever there's... you want. Uh, yeah, and they're so stupid. Uh, no, I, I think it's a foolish thing to do. I think it was it's foolish, and it falls apart at this point. I think it was foolish for the corporate people to do that choice. Um, but you, it doesn't mean that until a cheetah attacks one of these trams at the San Diego part, people aren't going to say, say that's foolish. So yeah, I think it's foolish. All, but I still see that the corporate the corporate vision that um, that Claire is talking about, where we have to have something new every few years or people are going to lose interest, yeah, makes sense. How do you feel about this character well, we, development? Oh, go ahead, Kelly. Well, just we don't know anything about the rules of a hamster ball, too. So when the dinosaur is trying to bite into it, we don't know if it's going to break or not. It was with the cars in the first so one. We, we go, all right. Because of Jimmy Fallon. But what we don't know is that Indomicus Rex exists and that Indomicus Rex can do that. We don't know if this is going to happen, but Jimmy Fallon explains why the ball works. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. What, what about this, uh, this character reveal, like this twist where, oh yeah, they can get out of it this way. Uh, I'll, I'm going to paraphrase a line. This is 1992 Jeep Cherokee. I know this. <laughs> Very yeah. good. I like that. I didn't even hear that line. Very. I didn't hear the... Uh, the line you're echoing, that's good. Yeah, because they, they come across, the, the and that's where, hey, Grandpa taught us how to fix cars, so they randomly uh -huh. fix one of those Jeeps, and they yeah. drive it. I mean, oh my god, <laughs> really? He restored Grandpa's yeah. Malibu? Oh yeah, I remember. Let's do this. Oh my god. Weak. Here, here's another Weak. thing, and this is where, again, where I would use inept. There, there's a famous um, shot from Jurassic Park, and I've actually seen this in other monster movies, where they're in the car, and the T-Rex's head lowers down, and its eyeball comes into frame through the car window. And it's an amazing shot. It's really chilling. Uh -huh. It gives you a sense of scale. Uh, you see the kids. You see the eyeball. Uh, it's just Spielberg. That whole sequence is, is one of Spielberg's best pieces of work. And that yep. eyeball looking through the window is iconic. Colin Trevorrow trying to rip it off. <laughs> it's inept because it's just one shot of the T-Rex. And it doesn't even it doesn't lower into frame. It just is like a reverse shot. Oop, there's the eyeball looking through the window. And now we're done. Like, I think he he knew how awesome that scene was, and he tried to ape it by just having the T-Rex, or the Indominus Rex eyeball looking in the hamster ball, and he just had no concept for how to set this up, I thought. Um, Ripping it off wrong. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, like, yeah, I know this was an awesome scene, so maybe I'll just do the... And the whole, yeah, the whole little hamster ball attack. You know, they, they fall out of the... You know, th that, I was like, that could be a cool variation. It ended up being like some crappy CG Peter Jackson sequence with the hamster ball beginning, like, you know, knocked around like a pinball or something. 
all of that was I I just uh, I totally that's their way of improving. I totally agree with you that it pales in comparison to all of the the way that the uh, in the book they're Toyota Land Cruisers, but I think in the movie they're Ford Explorers. Uh, the way the the way that the kid in the Ford Explorer has to like ride down the tree and Sam Neill has to get him out. There's that whole, I mean, it's the same thing that dinosaur stepping on the car. I totally agree with you that that hamster ball is a poor imitation of that. Well, it's also just how to introduce your, your monster. Like the, the, uh, they, they, you know, it seems like Colin Trevorrow Mm -hmm. early in the movie knows this in that he's not showing us the Indominus Rex. And then when we do see it, we see the foot first. Uh, we see Chris Pratt running from it. We don't see the whole thing in the frame. Uh, I think he had a lot of opportunities to do, like, the reveal. Okay, here it is. And then we see it in all of its glory. He didn't do that. Like, I thought the introduction of the Indominus Rex was just ham-handed. Um, you know, I think you're right. I don't think we ever see a full-on shot of Indominus Rex. I we think we eventually do, but it just kind of right. happens. Well. Like, we eventually see it, you know, fighting the T-Rex, like, all of there, but... It's kind of this should be. It's like the you know the classic version is revealing King Kong in the what 1932 movie or whatever. Uh, but also Owen is trying to figure out what this thing is, and I mean I love it when I when he goes under the car and he cuts the brake fluid and he like rubs it all over his body and all. I think that. that was gasoline. Yeah, I don't think there was brake fluid enough brake fluid. Brake fluid. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, God, gasoline. Dinosaur. I don't think gasoline line runs runs that way, but okay. Oh, yeah, that's probably true too. Yeah, I don't think the, the movie knew that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I love that instinct that he's going to just uh, disguise the way he smells and, and hope that this works well. Right. Uh, yeah. How did so you... the dinosaur would smell that even more? You'd think and go, wait, he's dousing himself with gasoline. I'm a genius who pulled out my own. Yeah, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to eat that. How smart was that dinosaur? Like, so it knew yeah. that it was being tracked thermally. How'd it pull it out? Why'd they put it in? Well, no, he was it? just camouflaging. I think, I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a terribly not smart dinosaur, uh, because it's a not smart predator. Because what it's doing is killing everything that it could possibly eat. And then once you do that, guess what? Nothing left to eat. Because it's hunting for sport. Kill for um, sport. That's, Unlike that's, the velociraptor, it, no, it's, it's, it's killing for sport. Yeah. Uh, right. it, as Kelly said during the Opsis, it's a serial killer dinosaur. But I think that's supposed to be a product of the genetic engineering, and that's supposed to be some sort of a larger, like, uh, I don't know, message that the movie is making about you know, genetic engineering or something. Things, I, I hate that you're having to defend these things. Tell me something yeah. else you liked about it. What, I don't want to pick on yeah. I don't want to pick I'm on not going to do that. You I can keep drawing stuff at me all day. I'll justify everything that I have to justify. Everything, I wow. I, I, I liked the way that the action worked out at the end. I liked that that final <laughs> sequence where the kid's like, <laughs> we need yes. more teeth. And that even though I didn't like Bryce Dallas Howard, and I don't agree with you that she was super hot, I thought she looked like this dowdy yes. weird running around in She's high cool. heels. I didn't like her at all. Uh, she looks like a... a I don't know, a poor man's Jessica Chastain or something. It's like Annabelle um, the doll. I didn't like her at all, but I liked the idea of her going, oh, that's what you mean. We need more teeth. And I to- but I totally saw that Mosasaurus thing coming at the end as well. Uh, I thought that was really it. exciting, the Mosasaurus stuff that was going on, although I didn't like it with the personal assistant. That was kind of yucky. That would be the only moment that I liked in this movie. You, you liked it when Zara was killed. Uh, yeah, I think a part of a Jurassic right. Park movie is people need to die brutally. Yep. Right. All right. One person. Yep, we got one little iconic, uh, terrible death. I mean, there was no reason. I don't know why it had to happen to her. I mean, that's part of what happens, too, right. is that it should happen to or people that don't deserve it. Um, well, you say ineptitude, Kelly Wan, but uh, who's the guy from West Wing, Dingus, that, that gets bitten in half in the second one? 
Oh, God. All I can think of is Bradley Cooper, but it's not Bradley Cooper. Crap. I remember asking you, who's that guy? And you were like, oh, he's on West Wing. And but I anyway, love the guy from West Wing, and he totally didn't deserve it. Yeah, but, like, but that's, like, that to me is – so He's going to get killed. But that to me is a hallmark of – that's a, that should be a trademark of a movie about a brutal predator. The predator doesn't kill just people who deserve to be killed. It's just people are all meat. So yeah. I loved when that right. assistant – suffers this gruesome death, you know. And that, by the way, was a little overwrought, but at least it was kind of... I was welcoming... Lost World is a huge body count. It's so Temple of Doom of Jurassic World. I love that. It is much more intense. This this thing pulled so many punches. Like, there's a a brief scene in uh, Exodus, which I presume you guys remember, where uh, alligators (laughs) attack a fishing boat. Do you remember that sequence? Yes, and it's really yeah. gory, and it's it's a PG thirteen movie. It's really gory, and it's 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 like like you get a sense that these alligators are treating these poor men as meat, and it's kind of grim, and it's like, ew, what am I seeing? Uh, there was none of that here. Yeah, oh, I wanted more of that push. water stuff. I mean, I love mosasaurs, but I wanted to see Liopsidon come in. I mean, I wanted to see there be more stuff going on in the water, and and uh, I, I don't know. I think that there's a lot more they could have done with that. I think it's funny that they used the shark as bait. I don't think it makes any sense since they're just dangling something. It's a Jaws joke. Yeah, I mean, it's totally, it's yeah. Clearly it's a Jaws it's a joke. stupid joke for, yeah, like, oh, stupid this thing's joke. way worse than Jaws. Yeah. But I, um, but I think that that particular right. picture, and I didn't watch the trailer until my son said, oh, that happens in the trailer. But I think that particular, the Mosasaur jumping out of the water to grab that shark is really tailored for the trailer. Well, and that's that's the part of the trailer I showed your son too. That I was like, "Hey, can you oh. come look at this?" Like, I, that's that's a great moment, but I don't think they do anything with it except it's a setup for a Mosasaurus ex, ex Machina. Uh, at the yeah. End. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, Dingus, what happened to the T Rex and the Velociraptors at the end of the movie? Yeah, uh, they made they made a pact that uh, you're going to go over there, and I'm going to go over here. We're going to group, and then we're all going to come back together at that little place where we fought in the first movie. And we'll see what happens. All right. What happened to B.D. Wong? Uh, B.D. Wong was on a helicopter. Right, he's, so he, he's, he's, he's gets getting away with it? Is he, in, is he in trouble? Uh, I don't think anybody's going to get away with anything. I think that, that the whole idea of the, we're going to be in chapter 11, which is said like 15 times, is, is what's going to happen to this thing. And I think everybody involved is going to be in Senate hearings for the next millennium. Maybe that'll be in the sequel. Uh, yeah, that would be great. It'll be like watching Phantom Menace and talking about taxes. Uh, all right, so um, let's see. What else uh, should we talk about here? Uh, relationships. Kelly Wan, did you learn? Oh, yes, Stingus. No, go ahead. Did Did you learn anything about relationships from, from Jurassic World, Kelly Wan? Well, wait. Should we talk about I... our over unders? Oh yeah, yeah. What under over unders? Uh, uh, so Dingus, you said your under was Westworld. Yeah, my under is Westworld. I think that that uh, as much as I love Westworld, and I think uh, Kelly, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't that have something to? Isn't that a Michael Crichton thing too? Yes, he directed it. It's his first right. directing. So my under is Westworld. Um, I love the idea of this sort of. I was trying to look for things that are like things that are amusement parks or either nature breaking down. So again, it's not like a, a unified theme. So my under is Westworld, and I think I described a little bit why earlier. My over would actually be the movie Deep Blue Sea, um, oh, yeah. because I love the genetic engineering in that, and I and I kind of like. Um, one of the things I like about Deep Blue Sea that I feel like Jurassic World lacks, uh, and this is surprising from Colin, from Colin Trevorrow having watched Safety Not Guaranteed, and I feel like, um, and maybe this is this should be laid at the feet of of Mark Duplass, who brings you know who always 
seems to, no matter how serious a character he's playing, uh, th- there's a feeling like he can always laugh at himself, even though he's playing like a paranoid character. Um, I think Deep Blue Sea understands that it's kind of a goofy movie, but it takes itself just seriously enough, but it allows me to laugh at it, and I don't think Jurassic World, as much as it tries to let Chris Pratt be funny, allows me to laugh at it enough. Yeah. Um, all right, Kelly One, what do you have? I'll go next. Uh, my over is actually the the Gareth Edwards Godzilla, which I also hated. Um, but I thought at least Godzilla, th- there was a sense in Godzilla of okay, what are they going to do next? What kind of what kind of weird structure is going on? You know, characters died early on, which I thought was stupid, but at least it did weird things that way. Uh, yeah. So as much as I hated Godzilla, I actually thought it was better than uh, Jurassic World. My under would be a crappy, uh, I think this might be a sci-fi channel movie, a, a movie called Jurassic City, which is a rip-off movie that came out <laughs> shortly before this, where uh, the military is transporting uh, velociraptors, and I forget why, but for a certain reason, they need to park the velociraptors in a prison for a little while, and they're in these vans, uh, but the velociraptors get out, and they stalk people in the prison. Uh, this was better than Jurassic City. Wow. All right, good. Yeah. Kelly Wan, what's your over and under? Uh, my over is every movie. Uh, every movie? No. Seriously. Every movie. My over, every movie, is better than this movie. Wow. Um, Jurassic right, Park, except, really, except, except Kelly, your under. On. Except your under, right? Oh, no, wait, I got it, I got it, I got it. Jurassic Park is my over, because in that movie, at least the character's dumbness was nominally acknowledged. And then it's also my under because pterodactyls are an even lamer third act than this stupid fucking. All right, so Jurassic movie. Park is your over and your under. Three. I'm thinking of three. All right. Yeah, Kelly Wan put about as much thought into his over under as uh, Colin Trevorrow put into emergency procedures on Isla Nubla. Good point. Yeah. And Kelly Wan, what did this uh, movie teach you about relationships? I think I have frog DNA because of how my dick shaped. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three, feet apart, not a free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves more. Speaking of notable failures, <laughs> low-hanging fruit, I realize. This was a great topic. Low-hanging fruit. For stealing it from Data Gold. It's a really great topic. Uh, you did like this. Okay, good. Well, this this week's topic, I mentioned last week that Dana Gould had a bit uh, where he talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Indiana Jones accomplishes absolutely nothing. He doesn't keep the Ark from from the Nazis. They get it anyway. Furthermore, the Ark is perfectly capable of defending itself. Uh, when the Nazis open it, they get melted. Indiana Jones just doesn't – he's basically failed at what he's trying to do. Uh so what I wanted from, from you guys and from the listeners uh, are notable failures in movies. Uh, and I think I only took off – yeah, so I guess I took Indiana Jones. Did I take anything else off the table? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, yeah. Um, you know what I learned while coming up with my choices was like most great movies are about failures. Well, I I mean I really had to – like, yeah, every movie I was – I mean – Certainly, hard to narrow down. Certainly, yeah. Like, a lot of my favorite movies are about failures. Yeah, like, failure is inherently interesting. Uh, and Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so there's a lot that can be done with these. I'll be curious what you guys come up with. And Dingus, why don't you start us off uh, with your number three pick for a notable failure? Maybe give us a line from it, Dingus. 
Uh, well, I think that before I do that, um, I think that what you you kind of opened it up to say that we can do whatever we not whatever we want, but with that sure. we could be a little bit more free with this. But I really topic. liked the idea of that uh, the Dana Gould or um, I think there's a television show that talked about that too, like The Big Bang Theory or something. Talked about that Indiana Jones thing and how that doesn't work at all. Or, or how if the if the protagonist hadn't been involved, things probably would have been better for everybody. And and so I I kind of went with that, but but I I really I really was concentrating on movies I love, where I it it kind of um, bothers me to have to say this thing was a failure. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to give a, a quote from this. I could, you would know immediately what it's from, but I'm going to go with the matrix for my, the first one. I, I absolutely love the matrix, but almost everybody is still batteries at the end. And, um, Neo just achieves the ability to pretend fly. Uh, and I, I'm not looking at <laughs> That's true. all, all of the matrix, right. like as, as a trilogy, because even when we get to the end of the trilogy, that's, basically still the case but i'm just talking about the the movie the matrix as much as i love it and as much as i think it does some great things i i don't really know what he accomplishes um he kills a couple of agents and then he can fly up in the air but everybody's still batteries and is it really better for him not to be a battery anymore and not to get like steaks like joe pantaleano is getting and really tasty red wine i mean has he really achieved anything i don't know that that's the case at the end of the matrix uh, the Matrix actually has this, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Wachowskis are, are aware of this. I don't think it's necessarily an accidental thing. But uh, the Matrix has a lot of parallels to, I, I think, what you would call what Buddhist thought, basically. Is is it better to know the nature of reality uh, and yeah. suffer, or not know the nature of reality and, and avoid suffering? Uh, actually, that's, that, I don't, is that Buddhist Wachowski's thought? But there's this idea that you know there's 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 true reality and knowing about it doesn't necessarily help you. Uh, right. It's something to attain, but it's not gonna it's not gonna save anyone. It's not gonna rescue you or, or anything. Well, it's the idea that, that that there's this objective importance to truth. That right, once right. you achieve truth, that actually has a meaning of its own. Right. Um, but really, once he gets into that ship and he has to eat that glop. How is that better for him? Right. I mean, how is that better for the rest of humanity? And once, once humanity, if we imagine, breaks out of this matrix, just looking at the first movie, they're going to live in this desolated world. Is that better for them? Right. The red pill is a perfectly viable choice, or yeah. the blue pill, whichever one is the one where he wouldn't, the movies wouldn't have happened. Right. Yeah. So, Dingus, I, I, I love this pick, but I don't. Is that? A, I mean, do you really think of that as a failure? Like, do you think that uh, Neo should rescue the world? Uh, I don't know that he's rescuing the world. That's where I think it's the failure. I think that maybe the machines taking over and running things in this way so that the machines can run everything in this world that we have completely depleted or would have depleted is sort of a failure. Okay. I mean, what is he, what is he rescuing it to become? And look at the look at the world that that he has shown. He's shown this world that is totally just. Des- desolated. Yeah, it's all gray. But the machines have figured out a way to keep it going. So, what is he actually rescuing us to do? So, I, I yeah, think we're going to back to that desolate wasteland so, of lightning. So, I think that in the end, I think that his journey is a failure. That's what. I mean, and, and again, this is this is a movie I absolutely love, and I love the journey of the hero. But but when forced to kind of look at it through that that lens that you kind of that you showed about Indiana Jones. Right, how much of a difference does he really make? I have to say, 
is the difference you made what we want? <laughs> so I would say, Dingus, and, and not to not to attack your choice, because I think it's, that's okay. It's part, that's of, okay. part of the point of the Matrix is, you know, is that is that is this worthwhile? But I, I think the the point of his journey is self enlightenment. Um, right. Yeah. And he does attain that. Fortunately, we have the other two movies. I'm sure they explore the issue more in depth. And uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Kelly, what, what is your third favorite failure, notable failure in a movie? Um, I tried to kind of do what Dana Gould did and like think of movies that everyone thinks of right. as it's a triumph. Yeah, the hero kicked ass, right. but he really didn't think about it. And kind of what Dingus just did too. That's why I, I, right. I actually I like Dingus's pick a lot because um, it's right. He doesn't accomplish anything. Like Neo's, it's like a fake happy ending at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so my number three is Goldfinger. <laughs> 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 Wait a minute, this is a James Bond can't fail things or else the world would be like turned into some supervillain's playroom, right? Like what what is he not what what's the failure in Goldfinger? So okay, excited. he loses every chick and the, the they all die. Um he's a prisoner for the entire movie. Literally the entire movie. Like he keeps escaping and they keep catching him again and then he breaks out. Like they after the tenth time and they you'd think they would just kill him. And then at the end, he's chained to a bomb. He does he does manage to kill Oddjob, I'll grant you, but not through his wits, only by his science. Um, but there's like a bomb going off, and he has to like defuse it, and he's sweating. And then a guy just comes into the room and like pulls the wire and defuses it for him. And then the numbers say 007, even though James Bond didn't defuse it. So there like is he, a lot of failure there. Does he he at least foils the plot to dominate the world? I presume. In the uh. Yeah, but only because Goldfinger winds up on the on a plane later that James Bond is on that I guess he didn't see Goldfinger get on, and then he does kind of win that fight by breaking the laws of physics because Goldfinger gets sucked out the window. But lots of but the only chick in the movie, the only chick in the movie he doesn't lose is a lesbian. I think she's supposed to be like a lesbian uh, flying acrobat. So that's a failure too. This isn't, isn't a pussy galore like barn rape scene, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that. Is that yeah. from Goldfinger? Okay. Yeah, Pussigalore is Goldfinger, isn't it? Yeah. That's what's. That's why. See, so the, the fact that she's a lesbian would kind of make sense from that name, though. But she doesn't die. You're saying the other, insane. all the other chicks do die. All the chicks do die. And she's actually probably the least hot Bond girl, probably. Wow. So that's kind of a failure. Okay. So Goldfinger is like held up as like oh one of the greatest Bonds, but it's like it's He's actually one of the Bond. least good. Okay. Yeah. And this is a Roger Moore one. And the thing he's trying to prevent... No, it's Sean Connery. It's Sean Connery. It's teasing. <laughs> he, I have, I have such like, warm feelings about Goldfinger, because I, I loved that movie just from seeing it as a kid with my dad and getting yeah. this contract when I when I grew up and started to love soundtracks. But I have no idea if it's any good as a movie. Well, and Connery's really good in it. Like It's kind of the first time where he's sort of like the James Bond that we know. Because the first two, he's sort of more like just a spy. <laughs> like He's not quite... He's not really wacky yet, but in Goldfinger, he's really wacky. And he doesn't seem to give a shit about anything in a fun way. Like, he just keeps, he has sex with a chick and, like, calls Goldfinger and, like, griefs him while the guy's playing, like, cheating at cards by the pool. And then, uh, never mind. I'm just well, saying. Kelly, you, you go to a movie with the James Bond that you have, not the James Bond that you have. <laughs> Very sure. nice. That explains the Roger Moore as James Bond movie, Stingus. Or, yeah. or Roger Lazenby. I like the uh, first three more. 
No, not Roger Lazenby. What's his name? Uh, George Lazenby. I like that. George one. Lazenby. Oh, like yeah. Sorry, George Roger Lazenby. How dare you do that? Sorry, I would. I was. I would give them all Roger because I just like saying the word Roger. <laughs> the Brosnan ones are kind of the least good. Well, no, the worst ones are what's his name? Jeez, Timothy I can't Dalton. Yeah, Timothy Dalton. What? No. Yeah, but it wasn't no. his fault. They were just bad scripts. It was like Jurassic World. You <laughs> don't think Timothy Dalton? Timothy Dalton? No. Where have we seen Timothy Dalton lately? Have we? It was the eighties. Um, was he in Hot Fuzz? Or am I... Yeah, he was in Hot Fuzz. Okay. He said it was the most fun he ever had. Shooting no, you're movie. right. He was in Hot Fuzz. Right. Another comedy that lasts 40 I minutes longer than it should. Notable failures, yeah. Uh, all right, my, <laughs> what I did with my list, and this is a complete accident, the, the movies I ended up picking are some of my favorite movies of all time, and I wasn't even thinking in those terms until Kelly Wan just now mentioned this. Uh, or Dingus, you mentioned that. Uh, no, which one of you said these some of your favorite movies were failures? Both of us. Okay. So, uh, yeah. These three are actually some of my three favorite movies. Uh, so they're also failures that had – they were notable to me. Like these actual failures had an impact on me. When I watched the movie, I was like, oh, no, this that's not working. At least this third one is. Oh, um, okay. So uh, – see, does that work to call it, cast it in that light? You know what? Never mind. Forget I said that. That applies to this third one at any rate. Uh, <laughs> I hate this failure, and it hits me every time I watch the movie because I care about the characters. Even though the movie can be really clunky, I hate, hate, hate in Night of the Living Dead when they're going to refuel the pickup truck at the gas pump. They have this plan. They're barricaded inside this house. There's a truck outside that some of the characters have used to get there. They need to get in the truck to escape, but they need to fuel it up first. And there's a gas pump a little ways from the house. So... They set up this this pretty solid plan. One guy's going to go on the second floor. He's going to throw down Molotov cocktails to drive the zombies away from the truck. Uh, Tom, who's the likable young guy, uh, and Ben, the black guy who's the hero of the movie, they're going to get in the truck, drive it out to the gas pump. The pump is locked, so they have these keys they found they have to use. They're going to fuel up the truck, then they're going to drive it back to the house. All the while... The, the guy who's like the a-hole Cooper, he's going to man the door and then let them in. It seems like a pretty solid plan. Uh, but, like in any zombie movie, and this was the first zombie movie, uh, you know, plans fail. In, no plan survives contact with zombies. That's kind of the point of most zombie movies. So, the first thing that goes wrong is that Judy, Tom's girlfriend, at the last moment, she's like, no, I want to go with you. Because they've said their goodbye. She knows this is dangerous. So, she runs out. That screws up the plan because now they have an extra person to look for. Uh... But then they get to the gas pump, and here's what I love about this notable failure. Um, a lot of times a notable failure is because like something that couldn't be foreseen happens, or maybe some a-hole guy does it, or there's an evil character who causes something to happen. The reason this plan fails to fuel up the truck is because Ben has a torch that he's been waving at the zombies to keep them back. He puts it on the ground so he can use his gun to defend Tom while Tom is fueling the truck. Tom takes the fueling nozzle off of the pump and in his just enthusiasm splashes gas on the side of the truck and onto the torch. I mean, it's the stupidest thing. You're handling gasoline around a torch laying on the ground. Don't pour gasoline on the torch and you're fine. Uh, it's Zoolander. <laughs> And, and and then furthermore, so the, the truck catches on fire. They're going to drive it out of the way of the, the pump, and that's easy enough. Um, but then Judy's coat gets stuck in the door as Tom is trying to get her out. The truck explodes, and they both die. Um, and then everything goes south the, from there later. But I hate you remember that in the Tom, 
I love that one, actually. Do you remember the Tom Savini remake? The thing is, uh, the gas pump's got like a, a chain lock on it, and so he t- he picks up the gun and he shoots the lock, and it blows up the pumps and the station and him. Oh my god, no, I don't remember that, because that's what Ben does in Night of the Living Dead, the original one, is he shoots the lock off. They've got the key, but Tom can't get it yeah. to work, and so Ben shoots the lock off, and, and you know, you're thinking, ah, oh, it's a gas pump, don't do that, but it doesn't blow up. So in the Tom Savini remake, that's where it goes wrong. Yeah, and I, re- I remember loving that. Like That's that was hilarious. such a hilarious. Right, right. Yeah, so it was actually a great failure right. in the remake. So Tom Savini improved on George Romero's Black and White one. Right. Well, you know, I mean, it, it is like it's just such a senseless death. It's such a senseless failure. I like. Well, they're all like that though. The whole movie's it's just like one bummer. Like, I mean, Ben's uh, end is is the same. Well, and that's though. kind of the movie itself. Yeah, Ben ultimately doesn't save anyone. And 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 I keep yeah. I, this is easy to forget, but he shoots one of the other survivors in cold blood. You know, he he kills one of the other. He doesn't kill him, but he shoots one of the other guys. Uh, while the guy's unarmed, just because he's having trouble with him, and the zombies are starting to come into the house. Uh, and then of course, and the, the mom end, gets. Well, the mom gets killed by her own daughter, and then, of course, right. at the end, he's the only survivor, and he gets killed by because people who are clearing the countryside think he's a zombie. Yeah, um, but that's but like of, the dude, the the douchebag character, the one everyone's Cooper, hates, right, right? Yeah, Cooper. Like he's actually making. I think he's right, and they should stay in the basement. Oh, yeah, if they had stayed, you know, you're right, if they had stayed in the basement, they would be fine, because one of the things that's, so Night of the Living Dead kind of establishes so much about zombie mythology, and part of what it establishes is that, you know, you will fail, you can't, you know, things will fall apart, your plans won't work, you know, the zombies will get you, but the weird thing that doesn't come into play until ten years later, when Romero made Dawn of the Dead, uh, is this this, uh, apocalypse scenario, that the entire world has ended, because at the end of Night of the Living Dead, everything's under control. Um, yeah. You know, they're clearing the countryside. Um, and it's just he gets caught up in the, you know, as they're picking off stray zombies from a distance with firearms, someone mistakes Ben for a zombie. But they clearly establish at the end of the movie, you know, the world isn't ended. Uh, things are fine. and They're getting cleaned up after this one particular terrible night. But then not only are they wrong, but like Dawn of the Dead takes place 11 years later, which means in the movie's mythos it took zombies were still being a problem for 11 years i'm thinking that's not the case like i think what romero was imagining is well you know what i don't know the day after well i was thinking yeah is it the same day or is it the the day after or did he decide is it the is it is it an immediate yeah you're right is it the day after night of the living dead and from the title you would assume yeah after i assume you're right but i like to pretend the 11 years later, Jurassic right. Park. Yeah, and it's like, there's just this alternate universe where all this happened. Like, okay, but I think if you're right and it's the same universe, they would have mentioned it at some point in Donald. I think Ted. you're right. Because they yeah. mentioned, they give a different, I don't think it's supposed to be like that. And then, like, he, they give a different reason for the zombies in Night of the Living Dead, which is like a Venus probe or something. Well, they I don't mean, know. Like, they just mentioned. Right, they just, yeah, I don't think anybody ever knows in the, the first three movies, at least the first two, what it is. Uh, no, Hell's the black dude's grandma told him in the second one. Remember? But they're not mutually exclusive. Hell being full and a Venus probe coming back with some weird virus on it, those both can happen at the same time, Kelly Wand. Did he tell his grandma no, it's because of a Venus probe? We don't know what that conversation was. Yeah, Maybe Tom Savini will, re- will remake that. Yeah, hope so. Dingus, what's your second favorite notable failure in a movie? I, uh, I freely admit that this is unfair uh, for two reasons. Um, but I still love it as a 
uh, is a notable failure based on the way you originally couched the topic. Okay. Um, the two reasons that it's unfair is that it relies on the ridiculousness of uh, screenwriter screenwriters playing with time travel, and it also relies on sort of a oh, what happened at the end of this movie affects the horrible things that happened in the sequel. So I understand that that's the, the, those are a little bit unfair, but uh, I still would say that a notable failure is that uh, Sarah Connor does not uh, thoroughly dispatch of the Terminator at the end of the movie, The Terminator. And because, uh, because <laughs> of the way that, the, that that shakes out in that movie, um, the, uh, the chip that is necessary to actually have everything happen later on in the movie and in this particular movie, because of the way that the second movie happens, uh, exists to, uh, to go on to the next movie. And then, of course, uh, Miles finds it in the, in the, you know, you see Miles doing, dealing with it in the science lab and whatnot. Well, Dingus, the, chap- the book isn't closed on this because we'll find out later this summer. You know, there, there's still yeah. we're, there's there's still information pending, Dingus. Absolutely, yeah. uh, but I think as as hard as she tries, and I think I mean she's an awesome. She becomes what you think is what I what I love about this movie is that you who you think of the protagonist kind of shifts as the movie goes on, and uh, what you think is happening at the end is that she's one, and then when the second movie starts, which is a really awesome movie, what you find out is that what she's actually done is preserved things so that. <laughs> so that Skynet can actually happen. Um, I like which how is terrible, which is a terrible way to sort choices, of do. What'd you say? All your choices have to do with the fact that they made a sequel where things still had to be <laughs> fucked up to justify <laughs> that the sequel was story existed. Like, kind of, yeah. And you do at least because at the end of Matrix, I think the implication was supposed to be he flies, and then no one's batteries sooner or right, later. Right. But yeah, then exactly. the second movie's like, yeah, the batteries obviously still. So I'm gonna have uh, a wave. And, and in Terminator, you do have to give Kyle Reese props for at least him succeeding his mission of, of protecting Sarah Connor, or his E mission anyway. Or the Terminator succeeded. Dingus, I got that. That was very good, Kelly. I'm sorry that Kelly Wan mentioned missed that one. That was very nice. What was it? I'm sorry. Yeah, I want to, I have to listen to the podcast to find out. No, Kelly Wan, what's your second favorite notable failure in a movie? My number two, and I have a fun game we can play where you can, if you can think of failures that I don't mention, you can add them up to the stack. But from, my number two is Poltergeist. Movie. Yeah, Poltergeist. Okay. Here are the failures in it. Okay. When she says this house is clean, it's not. They don't kill the tree. <laughs> <laughs> they don't move out of the house after all that shit right. and then get fucked up again. The cops fail to investigate a little girl's disappearance. Right. Uh, the dad loses his job. The ghosts take the house away, so they lose the property. Right. And have to probably lose the, and the insurance company is probably not going to do anything for it. Uh, Carol Ann doesn't. Um, this is kind of dingusy because Poltergeist 2 happens, but like she's still got issues with ghosts. Like, now all the second movie's going to happen because the ghosts are, like, really into her. Uh, isn't and, Failure is kind of a, a, uh, a central part of a lot of horror movies, isn't it, though? I mean, I'm not, Yeah, I'm not but this house too. is clean is, like, where it's like, okay, so she just lied. The house wasn't clean. But she should know better. Think, right, right. Exactly. They hire, they're, they're paying for a professional, and this is what they get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And none of the other experts ever come back, including the guy who claws his face off. 
at least she's better at her job, though, than um, the demonologist in Paranormal Activity. He doesn't even try. <laughs> that guy, talk about a yeah, failure. Right. He doesn't even begin to give it away. He's just... You know what? Horror, you're right. Horror movie is low-hanging fruit. I am kind of delayed. Like, what, like, what does he do? Does he go off to Germany or something? What does that guy do? I think, is it that he's in Germany Nothing when they like first that. are looking for him? And then when he... Yeah, I forget. Is there something about him being out of the country? But did he leave because... Yeah. He was so spooked. When, yeah, I forgot about that. He was that. in a hamster like, that got bad reception. <laughs> I don't know. But that's funny, Tom. That's very funny. <laughs> uh, all right. Here's my second favorite notable failure. And this is one more on, on, on in par with, uh, with uh, the situation with Indiana Jones. Actually, you know what? It's very much like the little psychic saying this house is clean in uh, Poltergeist. So the two people who most know what they're doing, who should be the most effective at their job – both fail spectacularly in Jaws. <laughs> I was hoping you would do this. Right. This is awesome. I'm because so happy. They get all, lucky because the dub ass. Yeah. Well, no, they, they don't get lucky. I mean, they both screw it up. I mean, Hooper lives, but uh, Quint, first of all, fails terribly. He should know, like he's supposed to be have this career hunting sharks and dealing yeah. with fish and stuff. He should know that... The job is to shoot the shark with the 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 barrels, the the inflate the floating barrels, and it wears the shark down. It's like how you do whaling or whatever. Um, but because of his own insecurity about his rivalry with Hooper, when Hooper says, "Hey, take it easy on the engines, you're going to burn them out," he just is like, "Fuck you!" and he jams the engines all the way up yeah. and burns out the engines on his own boat. Um, like, like he but he's supposed to be an idiot, though, isn't he? Quint? No, he should know better than that. It's no, just Quint's not an idiot. Not yeah. Wait, not an idiot, but like he's he's all about male braggadocio. Exactly, it's so his braggadocio, it's, yeah, 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 his yeah, insecurity yeah. about his rivalry yeah. with Hooper, um, and the fact that Hooper has to come along, and he's just showing off and trying to be the alpha male on this this excursion, and he blows out the engines on the Orca. Yeah. Otherwise, the plan would have totally worked. Yeah, you know, and it's it, like if you're letting a guy like Hooper get under your skin, you are kind of a pussy, aren't you? <laughs> it's a huge, yeah. It's a, it's a definitely a tragic flaw. Yeah, and then of course Hooper drops the freaking stick that he's going to use yeah. to poison the joke. He just <laughs> drops something like he's then you know, runs away and leaves Brody to twist in the wind. You no, know, th- th- what you should do have a lanyard on the end of it. For instance, it would have been fine if he'd like put a lanyard around his wrist to hold the stupid stick. Every time yeah. I go diving, there's something you need to carry with you. It's got some kind of strap on it, but no. Hooper can't be bothered to have a lanyard on his poisoning stick. Um, I don't doubt your strap-on divulgence. Jeez. That's not what I meant. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. So, What about uh, also, Hooper also dies at the beginning of Piranha. That's his character, so it's another failure you can chalk up. I, I don't consider that movie canon. Sorry, Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so those are two notable Take failures. Shot. And, and then the amateur comes in and, uh, and just manages to get a lucky shot with, oh. uh, with the, the scuba tank. How did you feel about the tank being thrown out by Zack and Gray in Jurassic World? Oh, you thought that was a Jaws reference? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, they're, they're, there's, where are those tanks even in there? They're throwing a tank out. I well, mean, it's, isn't it an ambulance, like oxygen, to help people breathe? That's a huge oxygen tank. I thought that was clearly a tank reference. I think Dingus is right, but I kind of blocked the scene out. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, I'll that give that, like a, if, that if, if he wants to do. Was there a, we need a bigger, oh, I think we need more teeth is, a, is the we movie's equivalent teeth, of a, we right. need a bigger, you're going to need a bigger uh, boat, yeah. Oh, good point. He's the Hooper, the, little, the kids are now, Hooper's now a kid. That's what we've improved on. All right, Kelly Wan, what is your favorite notable failure in a movie? All right, it's me next. 
sorry, Dingus, Kelly Wand, save that thought, and let's hear from Dingus first. All right, I feel really bad about this one because I love this movie so much, uh, and I don't even know that I'm right about it. Um, but it's it's it. I, I'm I'm using it as failure. I think in more nitpicky ways, um, but because I love it so much, and uh, and it's funny that Kelly speaks of Goldfinger because it's uh, Skyfall, and um, uh, I mean I, I I fucking love Skyfall. I love this movie so much. I love it. What does he uh, fail to do? But doesn't James Bond oh, constantly everything. fail? I mean, he, he plugs in the the hard drive that gives the knock list, the constant knock list that we're getting that gets a bunch of agents killed, and Stop ultimately money, uh, he needs. He needs to protect M. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. Why they course. go to Skyfall. Yeah, they're yeah. good. And yep. he fails in keeping M from being killed. Now, yes, he does get uh, Silva. Is that the name of his name? Is that the bad guy's name, Silva? Javier Bardem. Yeah, Javier Bardem's character, Silva. I he thought he didn't even the- kill him, and you're, and that was another failure, but maybe I'm misremembering. Oh, you might be right about that. But he does not protect M, and he, he lets a bunch of agents get killed because of that knock list thing. Um, he gets but, pretty, yeah. pretty demoted. I think that I think that there's there's that we can look at like we can parse a bunch of James Bond movies, but I just picked my absolute favorite one um, when I was kind of looking at this. I was trying to pick uh, when I was looking at these three things, Tom. In 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 looking at your category, I was trying to pick things I really love that I kind of hate to to cut apart, and I really hate to cut apart Skyfall, but I think he kind of fails a little. Well, I don't think it's cutting apart. I mean, it's just part of, you know, it's it's the, this idea of humanizing James Bond. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's having to deal with the loss of his mother. It's like a humanizing thing. It's it's a universal, uh, and yeah, I, I think it's a failure, and it's part of what's so bold and, and awesome about that movie. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I would say, and this is sort of a bonus for you guys, is that um, uh, this this is kind of an anti-failure that I would put on to this movie because uh, I've because uh, I always wondered as we watched the movies why doesn't James Bond ever sleep with Money Penny? They've got this chemistry. There's this thing that's going on with them. In in the other movies, it doesn't doesn't seem like anything's ever happening. They're just flirting. They're just flirting. They're just flirting. And so I I would put that as a failure for all those other movies. And this is where Skyfall seals the deal. Yeah, yeah. deal. And actually takes something care. about James Bond's like even when he fails, he never get he never dwells on it. Like he's just like meh, meh, and just keeps going. Like that's something that always seemed kind of cool about him. It's when right. it doesn't he turns get into a right. Yeah. No, it's like meh. Kelly Wand. What's your favorite notable failure in a movie? <sighs> Isn't it you for the number two? No, it's you. No, my number two was my second one, Night of the Living Dead, Jaws, and then my number one, which you'll find out in a moment. But you go Goldfinger, Poltergeist, and then your favorite is? Oh, my favorite is um, Animal House, because they they all just get expelled. Yeah, but they have a good time doing it, so I wouldn't say it's a failure. Yeah, but they have a good time doing anything. That's true. So that's a wash. So did they really fail Kelly Wand? Mm, well, they did ruin the, the parade, but they didn't ruin every parade. And I think they this did literally bad. fail in it terms of like not passing class. Like I, I think. zero point zero. Why <laughs> <laughs> <Somebody> says it? <laughs> well, Dean Wormer fails. At Fuck! What? I don't like this. Ch- Can I change my choice? This nope. One's dumb. It's written down. You're you're locked in. You should have thought about that before you picked it, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Kelly Wand, my yeah, favorite right. my favorite notable failure in a movie is actually three notable failures. 
this is also one of my favorite movies. Uh, um, I love that, and it's kind of the point of the movie. Uh, I love that in all three of the timelines, or all three of the subplots, or whatever you want to call them, uh, in The Fountain, it ends up in absolute failure. Oh, uh, wow, that's a good one. So, <laughs> yeah. as the conquistador, he does not save Spain, but more importantly, uh, his troops mutiny. He gets his ass kicked by an old priest. Um, and then when he goes to this tree of life thing and eats the sap to heal himself up, it, it turns him into a flower bed. Yeah. So that fails. But in the future, he get, he wins. No, he, he doesn't, because he's trying to get the tree to this, this uh, nebula called Zibulba before it dies. And the tree dies before he can get there. <laughs> Um, it's wait, I thought Zibulba? he gets there. Really? He gets there, but the tree but, dies. I mean, the tree, which kind of represents his his wife thought, at, at that point, dies on the way. Um, I thought he gave his life so that it would live. Nope, he fails. He does not get the tree to the, the to Zibulba in time. Zibulba is also the god in the first part of the movie, but it's the nebula that he's getting to as the space traveler. The tree uh, dies. That's the point of the. That's the point yeah. of that timeline. Um, is that he goes to, to all these pains to put the tree in this little space globe and to try to get it to this this place of rebirth and, and rebooting the universe, basically. And the tree but dies before he can get it there. He's all, ah, oh, did it. Nailed it. I I, you're you're forgetting good. a crucial scene because it's a huge uh, source of anguish for him when, when the tree dies before he can get there. Like, you're forgetting a very crucial scene that's, that's important to what's going on because it's paralleling his wife dying in the modern timeline. Right. Where he is a surgeon, he's a... He's a researcher, uh, and he's researching from this tree in South America, incidentally, uh, this medicine that he's hoping will cure cancer. And nope, uh, Izzy, uh, his wife, played by Rachel Weisz, uh, dies uh, in that timeline right. as well. But then doesn't she get brought back at the end of the future? Have you seen The Fountain? No. I, I, <laughs> so, so The Fountain I, is basically all about, uh, the. I mean, it's about many things on many different levels. But I think part of the message of the fountain is the acceptance of death, and uh, and you, just like you know, you 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 cannot defeat death, and the fountain is about three three very different instances of this one man learning to accept death. Uh, I thought in the future he cracked it, though. Uh, I don't know how you would interpret that. I mean, I, if you could make a case for that, maybe. But I don't. What, what do you mean he cracked death? I think I should watch it again and then come back to you. Maybe, but yeah, so I, really I think all three of the timelines in The Fountain end in failure. Uh, yeah. But there's also, you know, you you could argue further, is it failure if what you learn from it is an acceptance of death? Uh, yeah, and that's kind of my ultimate interpretation. I right. can't argue with what you're saying for this topic, but because I because of my like concurrent interpretation of what's going on in this movie, I think that ultimately what's happening is that... R- Right, but all three characters are struggling to defeat death in a different way, and all mm-hmm. three characters fail, and from this failure comes this this story about acceptance of death. Uh, exactly, exactly. I wish I'd picked She's All That for my number one. Now. Sorry, I have you down. Let me see, Kelly Wan. Let me check the list. Goldfinger, Poltergeist. Yeah, I have you down for Animal House as your number one pick? <laughs> what about Sorry, Kelly Wan. All right, let's see uh, what the listeners okay. have here. Conversation... All right, so the listeners for Notable Failures have written in, and they have said that... What? <laughs> what happened to Google? I could have filled in that air, but you Yeah, chose. Kelly Wand, why don't you stretch for me? Go ahead, Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, do a little song and uh, dance real quick. Uh, all the Jurassic Park movies, failures. Uh, Star Wars, fail. 
All the Jurassic Park movies are not failures. How dare you? And how is Star Wars a failure? They blow up the Death Star. Right, I, no, I toyed with that for a little bit, but but one of the things I was going for is that that whole idea that Tom was talking about, which I really liked. That if Indiana Jones hadn't been in the story, everything would have been fine. Yeah. In fact, better. And if but if Luke Skywalker hadn't been there, right. then then more planets would have been destroyed. Then they wouldn't have all died on Hoth. So Simon Dasmacht writes Nightwatch in 2004. This is a weird Russian movie. It's sort of like a cross between X Men and Underworld, but unlike Underworld, it's actually good. The protagonist, a man called Artyom, starts the movie by putting a curse on his unborn son because his wife has left him. He later becomes a weird supernatural crime fighter and is tasked with saving a young boy from the forces of darkness, which he fails at almost every step. Uh, the film ends with a fight scene between Artyom and the main villain, which he loses because the villain has been practicing for it by playing PlayStation for the entire film. I don't remember that. Uh... The villain tells the young boy that he's Artyom's son, explains that Artyom tried to kill him with a curse as an unborn child. The young boy then joins the darkness, leaving Artyom a failure at both parenthood and being a hero. Hmm. Simon's number two that? pick. No, I don't think so. Simon apparently says it's good, but I, I didn't care for it. Uh, it's, um, who did those movies? Do you know the director's name, Kelly Wand? Tim Tidomnovsky is it Tim Bekmetov? Is that him? The wanted guy. Timor Tim Bekmetov or something like that. It is the wanted guy. Okay, right, right. Uh, Simon's number two pick, 2002 Internal Affairs. Uh, Let's see. He says, well, it lacks the intensity of Jack Nicholson's villain. I'll say. Uh, The original is generally (laughs) better. Um, So let's see. Uh, He's explaining the plot here, which I'm just going to skip over. Uh, Andy then covers things. So basically, everybody fails in internal affairs. Except me, Walk Warburg. Mark Warburg. I succeed in the movie. Uh, Simon's number three pick is The Proposition, a great uh, John Hillcoat movie, actually, from oh, 2005. Wow. Uh, Ray Winstone is a lawman sent from England. Uh, he actually calls him Ray Winston here. It's Ray Winstone uh, is a lawman sent from England to the colonial wasteland of Australia. And he says, I will civilize this land. To do so, he gets Guy Pierce to choose which one of his criminal brothers dies. Guy Pierce fails to make the decision for most of the film, and Ray Winstone fails to civilize anything as the film ends in extreme violence. Uh, one of the few uh, uh, Danny Houston performances that I can stomach was in opposition. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Uh, Fred and Lynn. Um, as you read this, three years ago this very week, I was so disgusted by Ridley Scott's complete and utter failure of a film, Prometheus, um, that I found it... Okay, so it's not really a failure in a movie. He's just saying he didn't like Prometheus. So Fred and Lynn were with you there. <laughs> Arthur Giovanginelli. Wait, three. what? That's the whole letter? Uh, no, he was just going on. I'm not gonna, if, if, this is not a list about movies you don't like, but yes, uh, I'm glad okay. to know, yeah. Uh, Arthur Giovanni writes Watchmen. <laughs> the heroes of this story ultimately fail to prevent the calamity that Ozymandias has. Did I say that right? Ozymandias has planned. It's actually a good one. Yeah. Uh, it is. They only succeed in getting themselves beaten up and/or killed, and engineering the peace that Ozymandias murdered so many to achieve. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of the part of the you know Neil Gaiman writing that deconstruction of comic books. Alan Moore. Haha, <laughs> I trolled you. Uh, Arthur Giovanginelli's number two pick. Oh, I love this one. 
uh, No Country for Old Men. Louis, yeah, great. Llewellyn Moss does not make the type of clean getaway that viewers might expect. While his failure is certainly unexpected, the way that it is presented is also unusual. We never see his death, only the aftermath and the image of his body on the floor. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, here's a great one. Arthur's number one pick. I love this, Arthur. Dr. Strangelove. While they certainly try, the diplomats and soldiers are not able to prevent Slim Pickens from dropping and riding a nuke on the USSR and triggering the Doomsday device. Very nice. Slim Pickens succeeds. No, he doesn't. If that's what you call success, Kelly Wand. He's he's pretty stoked at the end. Slim Pickens is trying to... Kelly Wand, you need to see The Fountain and Dr. Strangelove. That's my uh, prescription for you. I thought they both come back at the end. Slim Pickens gets resurrected and Rachel White. Maybe. There's no sequel to Dr. Strangelove, by the way. Uh, Yeah, that's compulsive. T.J. Keller's number two pick is uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Jack Skellington... (laughs) Um, Jack fails to realize his dream of being Santa and gets shot down trying to deliver some seriously deranged presents. Yeah, that's, that counts. Good. Uh, here's T.J. Keller's number one pick. It's from 1940, which is before they knew how to make good movies. Um, <laughs> T.J.'s number one pick is Fantasia. Mickey Mouse mm. is the Sorcerer's Apprentice. He says this is the first scene that came to mind on the topic. I love how in over his head he is. And how completely out of control the situation with the brooms and water becomes. That the dinosaurs fail on that, too. That's true, yes. They do. Mm. Uh, Paul Weimer <laughs> writes, number three, in The Hobbit Desolation of Smog, the crazy dwarvish <laughs> plan to, quote, let's make a golden statue to drown smog in gold when it melts, looks great on screen, but it only makes the dragon really mad. Irritated. Yeah. Worse, Doesn't Paul like... Weimer writes, it's not in the book. That's just for us to enjoy. There's a dragon shaking off the gold. In Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, during the Battle of Helm's Deep, the forces of (laughs) Rohan strive in vain to stop the orc running with a fateful torch that ignites the bomb to blow up Hornsburg Wall and tilt the battle towards the besieging orc armies. How can fire undo stone indeed? Yeah. Nerd alert! Well, you think that's bad? What do you hear this one? Paul Weimer's number one pick. In Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, the attempt by the Fellowship to cross the pass at Karadhas is opposed by the wizardry of Saruman. The mountain defeated them, and so led to the tragic mistake of heading into Moria. You know what? Frodo fails, too. The uh, Goyk is Gollum. Yeah, but that's right. part of the... That's the point. I yeah. Think. Uh, yeah, but Paul writes, Paul writes it's better yeah. in the book. Uh, and it's, in the book, Saruman has nothing to do with the mountain opposing them. Jaime Cabrera's number three pick, Fellowship of the Ring. He uh. says, might as well get the lowest hanging fruit out of the way first. Uh, let's see, he's talking about how... Um, he loved what he did <laughs> with Boromir... Uh, his attempt at redemption, which fails, and then his confession of failure to Aragorn afterward, Aragorn afterwards, a beautiful moment in the series of movies that perhaps gets more maligned as these years, these years than they deserve. Okay, uh, and let's not forget that Boromir is not the only failure. The Fellowship falls apart. Yeah, Gandalf fails too. It looks like in, in that one, he gets killed by a Balrog. Yeah, yeah, and Bilbo fails. 
Jaime Cabrera's number Sorry, two Tails. pick, uh, Gladiator. Maximus finally gives in and agrees to see a senator and then be rescued so that he can depose Commodus. What? Someone's named Commodus. 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 Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix. Comedy. Uh, They are unwittingly betrayed by Lucius and then wittingly betrayed by his mother, Lucilla, to save them. To save him. Yeah, stupid kid fucks him up. Fucks him up. Failure sets up the final fight in which an already dying Maximus has to stay alive long enough to kill Commodus and then set right what he can with his dying breath. Remember when that happened in Roman history? I do, yes. Uh, Commodus. Uh, and then Commodus. number one pick, Green Mile. I felt like this movie was not well received, but I loved the novel by Stephen King. Uh, the failure I'm picking from this one is the fact that Tom Hanks fails to tell the warden that Michael Clark Duncan is innocent. The book and the movie blur together for me, but it seems to me that it was because by telling him that he would have put him in the position of having to save a man on death row. When Hanks then asks Duncan what he wants him to do and offers to do anything, even let him escape, Michael Clark Duncan just tells him he's tired and will welcome the release from a life that's been very cruel to him. The guards who all knew he was innocent go through with the execution, but make it as easy on him as possible. They even go so far as to allow him to remove the black hood that would normally cover his face because he's afraid of the dark. That's a sad one. King characters usually fail, generally. Part of horror. Yeah. Chris Markinson writes, uh, he's trying to stay away from anything too obvious, like Charlie's Theron trying to outrun a falling spaceship from Prometheus. It's a good effort, though. Number three. With their vehicle stuck in the mud and the bullet farmer bearing down on them, Max takes a sniper rifle and takes a shot at the approaching vehicle, missing. Uh. Toast the Knowing tells him that he has only two more shots left. Did you guys know that one of the characters was named Toast no, the Knowing? Well, you do now. Grandma? Uh, they haven't run into the older women at that point yet. Yeah. It's one of the Bud Light girls, as oh, yeah, my friend huh. calls them. Uh, so Max fires and misses again with only one bullet left. Furiosa moves up behind Max to watch him shoot. Max aims, but then relents and lets Furiosa take the rifle. In pretty much any other movie, Max makes the shot the first time or makes it with his last bullet. But Fury Road won't stick with convention and the title hero fails to make the shot, and it's instead Furiosa who makes the shot. Uh, number two. Oh, I don't want to read this because it's from Whiplash. Should I skip over it? Uh, yeah, you haven't seen Whiplash I have not yet. seen Whiplash. So Chris Markinson yeah. says there's a notable fan in Whiplash. I'm going to skip over it and watch Whiplash this week. Yeah, definitely. Please do. All right. Sorry, Chris. Yeah. Sorry, Chris. Uh, Chris's number one pick, It Follows, having failed to find a way uh. to placate or kill the demon... There's a wonderful shot of Paul and Jay walking together hand-in-hand down a sidewalk, calm and not looking over their shoulders, even though death is only a stone's throw away. This is something about the characters having accepted their fate, but not giving in to it that I thought was really powerful. All right, runners-up, what do you guys got? Can I change my number one to Sorcerer? You cannot, because they don't fail in Sorcerer. They do get the nitroglycerin to the oil fire, and they in fact put the oil fire out, so they succeed. Sorry, Kelly Wand. Let me see. I do have you well, down, though, for... Um, let me check my list here. Uh, Animal House. <laughs> because they get failing grades? What was that again? I think it was something like that. Yeah, In the King's so. speech... Oh, never mind. <laughs> I, I'm just going to stop talking. Uh, Avatar. Well, I was glad Chris brought up uh, Mad Max Fury Road, because if I were to have chosen that, I thought about that this year, yeah, this year, this week... Um, it was just the idea that 
does Mad Max even is it's kind of a failure that he's even in I don't think he even needs to be in the movie. I think that she could have taken care of the whole thing. Yeah. So I actually watched for that when I saw the movie again and I don't oh, think because I don't think she would have set off across the salt sea with all the the other women and they would have like died of thirst or starvation out in the desert. So uh. it's, it's Max that turns them around. Um but you're right, it is Nux who sacrifices himself and closes off the pass. Um, you know, once they get back to the Citadel, Max doesn't really, you know, he doesn't have any effect on, I don't even know why he's the one that gets out of the car and shows them Immortan Joe's body. Uh, he is kind of beside the point at, at that he's point. He's just moving it. But yeah, you're right, it's like, what? other than persuading them, you know, presenting this plan, which you actually see him working out earlier in the movie with his little map, uh, right, right. Other right. than presenting that plan, they yeah they would have done just fine with with, with her. Yeah. Well, he's uh, only there because he failed at the fight too. So his failure got him there. What fight? With the uh, Nux or the beginning? You mean oh. when he's running out and he jumps onto that hook? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he, and he got captured right off the oh, bat yeah. too. Like he couldn't even get away. Right. He's busy eating a lizard or whatever, and uh, yeah, yeah. And they get, get get to jump on him. They're pretty uh, distracting. The the other one that I had as a runner up. Um, what does Deckard actually do in Blade Runner that does anything? Yeah. I mean, they're all going to die me. anyway. What is what is? Well, what he is gets Deckard? Zora. He definitely gets Zora. Yeah, he gets Zora. So she's going to die soon anyway. What 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 right. does that make? Oh well, well she's just going to be dancing in a club. Well, okay. first of all, I think he is because he is a replicant himself. Um, isn't this part of an experiment? Like. Doesn't his chief, Emmett Walsh, know that he's a replicant? Like, aren't they sending out... Like, isn't part of the, the test... Can you have a replicant not know he's a replicant? Oh, all right. Maybe. But I'm thinking... Of I didn't know that he knew. Yeah. Whether he's supposed to be the protagonist of the movie and supposed to be stopping these these killer robots. Um, and what point does it make? They're all going to die anyway. Right, because they all do have a, the, the timeline. They have an incept date. Yeah, I mean, they're all going to die, so what, what the is the point? The incept date is when they started, but they all have a, a date oh, sorry, sorry, that, sorry. They will, that they will expire, yeah. Um, but I think the point is, uh, like, he didn't know he was a replicant um, until Gaff leaves him the, the little origami unicorn. But then again, who does? Well, regardless of whether he's a replicant or not, let's just imagine that he's just a cop. Right. What's, what purpose does he serve in stopping them? Oh, I know. Uh, to protect the people. Uh, like, they're, they're dangerous criminals on the loose. I don't know. They're not killing like anybody, that. though, except that Tyrell. <laughs> oh, they do kill Tyrell. You're right. He does fail to protect the CEO of the corporation that has right. basically retained him. Yeah. Right. They're, they're going to do what they're going to do, and then they're going to die. Right. And, and then one hit. of them saves him. So. But I think what's going on with Blade Runner is this... It's like any noir story where the detective doesn't know the full extent of what's going on until right. the end of the movie, and he realizes there's something bigger here. The something bigger that's going on is that, oh, damn, I'm a replicant also. Uh, also, the turtle dies and the mosquito that Sean Young would kill. What's the turtle? Uh, uh, this is totally another thing, and it just, just popped into my head. Tom, did you ever watch Let's Be Cops? No, but I kind of want to. <laughs> yeah, did I do. fail in that? No, no, I'm just thinking of Joe Johnson because he's in that. Right, right. Jack Jake, Johnson. Jake, right. Jake Johnson. Jake, yeah. Jake, thank you. Well, I know him from New Girl, that <laughs> Zoe Deschanel comedy that was on Fox. I think it's still on Fox. Um, oh, all right. 
he's a he's a TV comic from that. Uh, and what else have we seen him in? But when I looked at the uh, all I've I've seen him in is Safety Net Guaranteed, and then looking and then remembering us just giggling like idiots over the Let's Be Cops trailer. Yeah, it's a great trailer. Yep. Um, yeah, no, no, I'm afraid I actually haven't seen that movie. But they do I, succeed in being cops, though. Well, what's the cop movie you saw that you got Kelly to see that you said they become real cops? What is it? There was a cop movie where, like, they're pretending to be cops or something. There's never mind. Kelly, what is he thinking of? I think he's thinking of the movie Let's Be Cops. Or something that's more subversive than that, I'm afraid. More Uh, subversive? That Tom saw that he really liked that had, uh, I don't know, somebody being like a cop. And and it was around the time uh, Let's Be Cops came out. Cop and Uh, a half? That's not cop and a half. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, Never mind. We'll figure it out later. Moving on. (laughs) Wait, I want to know what he could be thinking of. People pretend to be cops in uh, the zombie pretends to be a cop. Mm-hmm. Like Jerry, do you know what I think he's thinking of? Face off. No, I think he's thinking of wrong cops. The Quentin. De- yeah, wrong <laughs> cops. That's what I'm thinking of. Wrong uh, cops. That's hilarious. They uh, are cops, though. Why is that hilarious? <laughs> well, because you haven't. I mean, if you had seen the movie, you would know that your your assessment of it is uh, is subversive. Uh, is is really cute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what Dingus' first word to describe that movie would be. Yeah, like Dingus, is, because he hasn't seen it, he's, he's sort of putting it in the same slot as Let's Be Cops. Yeah, Wrong yeah, yeah. Cops, Let's Be Cops, and boy, or waiting could for be Godot. further from the truth, yeah. <laughs> it's Kafka-esque how that movie uh, Nicely done. takes on law enforcement. All right, well, Dingus, level. you are uh, giving oh. us uh, next week's topic, so uh, what do you got for next week's 3 by 3 RK, for your next uh, three-way three, your favorite scenes in banks. Yay. Pretty straightforward. Anything yep. off the table? Uh, no, I'm not going to. I, you know, my, my tendency is to feel like we should lean against things that are just heists, uh, but you guys do what you want. It, I'm really, I'm just really thinking about uh, scenes in heists. banks. Heists. <laughs> Dingus did something cute again, Tommy. Called them heists. Uh, what? Heists. As opposed to what? What would you? What should he have called them? Well, bank robbing. Bank Come robbing. On, heist? No one says heist. A bank That's robbery a is a type of heist, Kelly Wand. There are many anyway, categories you, of heists. Yeah. yeah. No, so you, do, you can do heists if you want to. You can play around with that. But uh, but I I have, I've seen a couple of movies lately where I really like the scenes that took place in banks, um, and they might just be a normal everyday scene in a bank. So go ahead and does Elizabeth Banks count? Oh my God, Kelly Wan's so obvious. Okay. Kelly Wan going That's for the easy happen. reference. Yeah. yeah. What about Jonathan? <laughs> uh, and Dingus, how can listeners participate? <laughs> All right, you guys. We want you to write in, uh, and you will write in at. Three, the number three, the letter X, the number three at quarter to three dot com. That's spelled out quarter to three dot com. So three X three at quarter to three dot com. Please send in. And if you have one choice, send it in. If you have three choices, send them in uh, and we'll and, uh, you know, we'll certainly read them. Uh, all right. And next week, Kelly Wan, what are we seeing? Uh, Marvin Gaye, male flight attendant. No. Can you do a little um, better, or is that as far as you can get? Alan Gay. Larry Gay. Is it Larry Gay? So Dingus and I will be seeing Inside Out. However, as a kind of a double feature, we will be doing a podcast on Inside Out and Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. So it's going to be a twofer. 
I still can't believe that's actually a movie. Larry right. Gay, Renegade Flight Attendant. I have seen it. Uh, I think Kelly Wan will appreciate it. It's an actual movie. Um, you guys just seen a movie that I can't see in Germany. You, you can No, no. You can see it on October 1st. Inside Out opens on October 1st You're in dicks. Germany. Dicks. You're both dicks. Kelly Wan, we have to do it for the listeners. They would not stand for us not seeing Inside Out. You won't even remember it by October. Yeah. You will have forgotten it by then. But more importantly, we'll also be talking about Larry Gay... Renegade male flight attendant, which I, Tom Chick, um, recommend to certain people who can appreciate really bad comedies. Oh, it's male? The word male is in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. oh, a, a renegade flight attendant doesn't, I mean, that, that's the point of Larry Gay, is that he's a dude. He's know? a steward. Like, uh, like uh, Faramir. No, no, he's a flight attendant. Yeah, I mean, Dennis Like Faramir. Did you say Denethor. like Faramir? First of all, yeah, nerd fail total because he meant Denethor. Faramir was not a steward. Yeah. Look, I don't care what his fucking name was, and I don't fare what his name was. This <laughs> is a bore. Gotcha. You're the best, You're the best ever. All right, so join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined uh, by uh, Christian Maloisky. It is Christian Morosky. And we had Kelly Wand. My sense of wonder, Jurassic World, was the Damon Lindelof's name, wasn't on it. It is almost the same music. Well, Kelly Wand, I defy you. While this is going on, hum the Jurassic Park theme. Go. <laughs> See? Wait. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's sh- it's shittier version of this. Right. Is it John Williams? No, this is not. This is Howard Shore. No, it's not. It's, no, Hans, it's, it's Hans, Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. Everybody knows Hans Zimmer did this. Oh, stop. Do not sully the name of Howard Shore with Hans Zimmer. How dare you? Didn't Howard Shore do it's all of... Uh, I recently watched um, Scanners and Brood, the, the early David Cronenberg uh, movies. Wow. Howard that Shore did all of like the David Cronenberg movies back in the day. Wouldn't surprise me, since the first notable soundtrack of his that I know I knowed was Science of the Lambs. And then he went on to do all of these movies that you're playing for us now. Well, my favorite Howard Shore is clearly is the Dark Knight soundtrack. I really like his work on that one. That music sounds like someone peeing Stop it, in the Tom. How dare you? Howard Shore. Howard Smith. Angus, <laughs> let's go to Jurassic World this Christmas and leave Tom at home. We're going to get arrested. They'll shave our heads and we'll have to make root beer in the toilet. Who says that? Fucking D'Onofrio? D'Onofrio? No, the little kid says it. Why would he 